this surah is a Madni surah and was revealed in Madina Manawara. And the incident of the surah is mentioned in the very first ayah. There was a woman, a female Sahabiya, and a male Sahaba who had a dispute with one another. So Al Mujadala means dispute. Mujadala's Babu Mufala means mutual dispute. Sometimes also people simply refer to this surah as Surah Al-Lati Tujadiluka, that the surah about the woman who disputed Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu And normally the word Mujadala would not be appropriate word to use because Jadal and Mujadala is dialectics, debate, dispute, argumentation is not the way a person, as certainly if Sahaba and female Sahaba would speak to the Prophet But this in this surah I feel very much Allah Ta'ala has shown the plight of women. And Allah Ta'ala has shown in the surah how much he honors and respects the plight of a woman. So this woman was unfairly, her husband, who was also a sahaba, used some unfair words about her. And you will see a tremendous lesson in this surah that how Allah Ta'ala views it when a husband says unfair words to his wife, even if that husband is a sahaba and even if that wife is a sahabiya. And the surah is also a testament to a woman who was spoken to unfairly, let alone treated unfairly by her husband, how desperate she gets and how distressed she gets that this female sahaba even then argued in a sense with Sayyidina Rasulullah not arguing but she was pleading her case. In such a state of distress and desperation, she was pleading her case with the Prophet And Allah Ta'ala heard her plea, and Allah Ta'ala will reveal certain ayat in the surah in response to that woman's needs, in response to that woman's plea. So here also Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala does not mention the name of the woman. All Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala says in Qur'an is, Allati tujadiluka fi zawjiha, neither the name of the woman, nor the zawj, nor her husband. So this is something that our Mashaikh and Hazrat Yair Shaykh has mentioned that Allah Subhanahu also doesn't do riba. Allah Subhanahu also doesn't wish to reveal and out the person. Allah Ta'ala is concealing their names. But obviously because this was an incident that took place in front of Sahaba Ikram and the revelation became part of Quran. So the knowledge of who the Sahaba uh, were is something that was known to the Sahaba Ikram. And therefore the ulama, and has been mentioned the works of hadith, and therefore the ulama of tafsir have mentioned that her name was Sayyidatina Khawla radiallahu ta'ala anha, and the sahaba, his name was Sayyidina Aus ibn Samit radiallahu ta'ala anha. So what happened once was, that's very interesting, it also shows, it's the beginning of our marriage workshop, huh? it shows something, that he wanted to have marital relations with her, and she denied him uh, and the way the ulama write this, that she denied him in his interest. Now they're again using ambiguous words. To Allah, I cannot say 100%, I understand what this means. Maybe it meant that maybe sometimes a woman after her menstrual period is unsure whether her period has ended or not. So because of unsurety, it's a gray area. Perhaps Shriya would give permission, perhaps it wouldn't. So perhaps she felt that there was more ihtiyat and precaution that he should wait so in his best interest. Perhaps that was the reason. Perhaps there was some other reason. Allahu Alam. Perhaps there was a danger of somebody missing Fajr Jamaat. There could be many reasons, right? 
but because the Mufassirin have written this way that in his best interest, so we will understand that between the Sahaba Ikram, their interests were deen. So in the interest of his deen and akhirah, she must have temporarily refused him. But the husband got angry, so this also shows you the nature of the man, that sometimes when he is also overwhelmed by a certain feeling or desire or passion, he can also lose control. So he said certain words to her, which is something we discussed with you a few times, definitely last last year, in Surah Baqarah, something called Zihar. Zihar is that a man says to his wife, this is a pre-Islamic practice, that the man with the husband would say to his wife that you are like the back of my mother. You are to me like the back of my mother. And this was a way of giving divorce. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as we did in Surah Baqarah, as we're going to see also here clearly today, is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in deen of Islam and Quran revealed that this does not constitute divorce in Islam. And these are foolish and flawed words that a person can say. But Allah Ta'ala will inflict a kafara, a penalty, expiation that has to be offered for the person who said these words before he can cohabit with his wife, before he can resume relations with his wife. So khair, so this person, he said that, uh, Sahaba Sayyidina Ausranda, he said that to Sayyidina Khadrzalan, that you are like the, you are to me like the back of my mother. So this was the particular expression in Arabic known as dihar. So because up till now this rule hadn't been revealed, this verses had not been revealed that this has no weight in Islam. So they assumed that just like before Islam, this constitutes divorce, this constitutes divorce. So he said to her that he regretted what he said and he said to her that, okay, now you are haram to me, you are not divorced. And she said, no, it can't be the case. We are on such good terms, we have such a good relationship with one another, there was a slight thing, even that I did in your interest. And just by saying these words, you cannot be, right? So she went to say, and this is a long hadith, uh, which mentions her words, but it's also interesting, I should mention her words to you, because you will see uh, that, uh, so she, first of all, the important thing is the words she said, she said, by Allah, this cannot be divorced. So she swore by Allah SWT, and this is something that is mentioned in the hadith of Tirmidhi and Abu Dawud, that they're such beloved servants to Allah SWT, that when they say something and they swear in Allah Ta'ala's name, that Allah Ta'ala fulfills their oaths. So some have said also this Sahabiya was such a wali of Allah SWT that she swore in the name of Allah SWT this cannot be divorced. So she went to Sayyidina Rasulullah and how did she introduce Ajib? And the women will definitely uh, identify with these words. She said, Ya Rasulullah Wasallam, when my husband married me, I was young and wealthy. And since then my husband has consumed all my wealth and he has consumed all of my youth. Allah Akbar, Ajib. <laughs> he has consumed my wealth and youth. And now, now, when the members of my family have, family have been scattered, means that it's not like she can just go back, maybe her parents have passed away, maybe her other relatives are away. It's not so easy, right, to simply tell a woman that now you're haram and now you have to go. Where is she going to go, right? So she says, now when the mem- members of my family have been scattered and I'm an old woman, he has said these words of dihar upon me. He now regrets his act. Is there any way by which the two of us can remain together? So Sayyidina Rasulullah said to her, because these verses had not been revealed yet, he said that, no, you are haram to him. So this hadith also has a second teaching, that if Sharia says you are separated, there is nothing that we can do to reunite you. So many women come with a regular divorce today, and they say, my husband has issued, pronounced three talaq to me, and can say this whole paragraph to us, right? But we will say to them that, look, there's nothing we can do. Your husband did something that was wrong, inappropriate, unfair, unjust. We can say all of that, 
but he has done something which has legal validity in Sharia, you were separated. So this city also establishes that because up till this point, that was the rule in Sharia that after pronouncing the words of the har, the husband and wife had to be separated. So then she again swore, she said, Ya Rasulullah, she swore in front of the Prophet, Ya Rasulullah, I swear by the being who revealed Quran to you. Allah went, I swear by Allah, the being who revealed Quran to you, that my husband never used the word divorce. I have children from him and I am most beloved to him. And then the Prophet ﷺ repeated. He said, there's nothing I can do, you are haram. Then she says to the Prophet ﷺ, now these words of hers are what Allah is saying in Quran. That she argued and disputed with you. So after the Prophet ﷺ said, second time she said, I shall present my case in the court of Allah. Allah Akbar. Um, now obviously, Sahabia, she loves the Prophet ﷺ. She's not against Sayyidina she's accepting that, right? But she said, I'll present my case in the court of Allah I have lived with my husband for too long. Third time the Prophet then responded to her, he said again to her in response, but there's nothing we can do, this is the ruling of Sharia, up to this point that was the ruling, that you are haram. Then she said, fourth statement of verse, she said that if I have children, and if I was to leave my children my husband, they would be destroyed. It says again, something women resonate, all women feel that the husband who divorces them would never be able to do proper tribiyat of the children because he has shown himself to be unloyal, disloyal and betraying. So she said that. And she said that, and if, on the other hand, if the children, if you decide that the children stay with me, then they will probably die of starvation. Because I have, no, he has taken all my, he has used all my money, I have no means to earn, I'm an old woman. So she brought up then, okay, that in the event of divorce, there would be custody. Again, Sayyidina Rasulullah was not able to accept her. So on the other side, the hadith shows that even if a person presents genuine arguments, you can call them rational arguments, justification, appeal to human emotion, appeal to sympathy, appeal to compassion, the rule is the rule. So in one sense, the hadith of Sayyidina Rasulullah is establishing that, right? So no matter what she said about the custody of the children, the Prophet did not, could not change the ruling. Then she turned her eyes upward, which is generally where people, not that Allah Ta'ala has any direction or he's located up as opposed to left or right, but emotionally human beings sometimes, they look away from the dunya. When they look towards Allah Ta'ala, when you look down, you're looking at the world, left, right, you're looking at the world, front, back, you're looking at the world. So the direction which indicates symbolically and metaphorically, turning away from the world and turning towards Allah is looking up. So she looked up and she said, Oh Allah, I plead my case to you. Reveal a command to your Nabi so that my difficulty is alleviated. Allah Akbar, she asked Allah Ta'ala to send wahiyan and Sayyidina Rasulullah And look how much Allah Ta'ala honored the haq of this Muslima woman. Allah Akbar, so even today, yes, Allah Ta'ala is not going to change the ruling of divorce, but a woman can still today present her case of injustice. And this is something that Mirakirim taught us in our deen, that the dua of a madloom is makbul. Now remember, we taught you that dua can be accepted in different ways, sometimes exactly what you ask for, something other than and better than what you ask for, right? So in this case, nobody can make a dua that the rules of divorce change because Sharia is closed. After Allah SWT revealed Quran and Nabiya Kareem Wasallam passed away, rules of Sharia cannot be changed now, right? But she turned to Allah SWT. At that point, then Allah Ta'ala started sending wahi on Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam. This is another whole long story. And some, many times, not every time, but many most times, when wahi came on Sayyidina Rasulullah it would affect him physically. He would be very, the heaviness of that act 
would change him physically. So in this incident, similarly, that Nabi Yaqrib's face became very serious and somber and his body started trembling. Umm Mu'mineena say that Aisha was witnessing all this. So she went to Khawla and said, Enough, enough. <laughs> Stop debating. Hogya. <laughs> Because she was Ummul Mu'mineen, she had witnessed what he coming on the Prophet she knew what was happening. Sayyidina Khawlaz, they had never seen it, because she was never there personally, right? So this is also another blessing Allah Ta'ala gave her, that she was one of the few Sahabiyat, other than Ummahat Mu'mineen, who got to witness Wahi being descended on Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu so when Umm Aisha stopped her, then the Wahi came, then when Nabiya Karim came out of that particular experience, then he told her that, go call your husband. This also shows, he didn't just tell her directly. He said, go call your husband. She went, she brought her husband. When her and her husband were both sitting in front of Sayyidina Rasulullah then Sayyidina Rasulullah recited then these ayat of Quran, which is now verse number 2. الَّذِينَ يُذَاهِرُونَ مِنْكُمْ مِنْ نِسَائِهِمْ مَا هُنَّ أُمَّهَاتِهِمْ That for those of you who do zihar, for those of you who do zihar means say this sentence to your wife that you to me like the back of my mother, say this to their women, مَا هُنَّ أُمَّهَاتِهِمْ They are not their mothers. They are not their mothers. What? إِنْ أُمَّهَاتُهُمْ إِلَّا Their mothers are only those who have given birth to them. Then وَإِنَّهُمْ لَيَكُولُونَ مُنْكَرَمْ مِنَ الْقَوْلِ But anybody who makes a statement of zihar is only saying something that is munkar min al is something that is repudiated and is a false and wazuda. It's a repudiated, false and foolish and pointless statement. وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَأَفُوبٌ غَفُوبٌ But indeed Allah Ta'ala is most pardoning, most forgiving. So here Allah Ta'ala did lihaz of the husband as well. Because if that sentence wasn't there, husband can't know that why he's come down upon me. And what I've said is nothing other than mm, uh, my words are nothing that is objectionable and false. That's what means munkar, right? Uh, you can say objectionable, false, foolish, pointless, futile. But Allah Ta'ala is all pardoning, all forgiving. So here now this verse revealed clearly that this has no effect. So she's not your mother, therefore she was not divorced, and Allah Ta'ala has forgiven them some mistake. But then now Allah Ta'ala gave a sabab for his maghfirah. This is another aspect Allah Ta'ala sometimes doesn't grow. End of verse 2, bayan-i maghfirah. Start of verse 3, sabab-i maghfirah. How will you get that pardon, that afu, and that maghfirah of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala? وَلَذِينَ يُذَاهِرُونَ مِن نِسَائِهِمْ ثُمَّ يُؤُدُونَ Those who practice dihar, who say that sentence of the heart, and then they wish to return to their wife. So yes, you can return because she's not divorced, but now you have to pay a kafara, an expiation, a penalty for the sentence that you said. Because why? Because you said something that was munkar min al So the ishara you get from this ayah is that when we make false, inappropriate statements and words, it comes at a cost. And we have to pay the price of a penalty. So this again has general teachings for husband and wife, Right? It's not just the words of the har, but any time, I mean the ruling, the, the expiation is just for the words of the har, but a general spiritual teaching is that whenever we say false and appropriate words to our spouse, we are worthy of penalty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we have to turn back to him and turn back to her and ask for Allah ta'ala's pardon and forgiveness. So what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? What is the penalty for somebody who says that... Uh, Number one, 
So they want to return to the number one فَتَّحْرِيرُ رَكَبَتِمْ مِنْ قَبْلِ أَنْ يَتَمَاسَ That before they even touch her مَسْ يَتَمَاسَ is from مَسْ مَسْ means even before he is allowed to touch her and the ulama fuqaha mentioned this is both literal and metaphorical literal means before he even so much as touches her right even touches her fingertip even shakes her hand and metaphorical this word is used for mm, conjugal relations right so here the ulama say both are mentioned before he can resume his marital relationship with her outright and before he can even do any precursor to that before he can even so much as you could say in english even before he can lay a hand on her that's how you would translate this in loose English. Before he can do that, number one, tahrir or rakaba means the first option is that he should free a slave. Alright? Now, freeing a slave is the first option. These are not choices. You have to do that if you're able. So, the second option is only going to be then for those people who don't have enough money to free a slave in those times or people like us in these times in which there are no slaves to be freed. And there's no metaphorical meaning of this, by the way. Some modern interpreters have suggested that, oh, by freeing a slave may mean doing this or doing that. No. Freeing a slave means literally if there's somebody who is in a relationship of bondage to another human being in the master-slave relationship, you have to free a person like that. And that doesn't exist anymore. Right? So because a person cannot do the first thing, uh, then a person will move to the second. All right? And Allah says, this is what you have been counseled to do. This is what you have been counseled. And Allah Ta'ala is all aware, ever informed of each and every single thing that you do. So what does this mean again? The du adun, the waz, mean this is the sabab of the maghfira. Sabab of afwan maghfira is to free that slave. So this shows also a general teaching that when we want Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala to forgive us for a discrepancy, a sin that we did, one way to do that is to follow it up with a good deed. And whether it's a prescribed kafara that's required, or even if it's not prescribed, but to follow it up with a good deed, that is something that will lead and, and attract Allah Ta'ala's mercy and forgiveness towards us. The second reason why this penalty is given is as a deterrent. That when you instill a penalty for something, so this is a deterrent to Allah Ta'ala's legislating the hukam of dihar in such a way that people in the future will be deterred from doing it. Right? They will think twice because they know there is a prescribed penalty for that. Alright. Now, فَمَنْ لَمْ يَجِدْ So that person literally means who does not find such a slave, but you can also turn the one who does not find the ability to free such a slave means the one who doesn't find the means to do so. Then the second option for them فَسِيَامُ شَحْرَيْنِ مُتَتَابِعَيْنِ that they must fast two consecutive months. This may be 60 days, but this can also be based on the moon sighting may end up being mm, 59 days or 58 days in the rare event that two lunar months are 29 days each. They have to fast two consecutive months before the two of them may touch one another. Right? The masa is janabain before either or both can touch one another. Fasting two consecutive months, literally, yes, this is the hukam. That if he fasts 30 days and he breaks the fast, he has to start right again, istinaf, right again from scratch. The counter is against that at one. So you can imagine this is all a very difficult thing to do. So this also shows, look at how stern and severe a punishment Allah Ta'ala, how, well not punishment, how stern and severe a penalty Allah Ta'ala has put just for saying inappropriate words to one's wife. 
Allahu Akbar Kabira. Fasting 60 days consecutively. Then the person who cannot even do this, فَمَنْ لَمْ That person who is not able to do this, istitaat means they're not physically able to do so. فَإِتْعَامُ سِتِّينَ miskina. Then they must feed 60 miskeen, feed 60 people who are poor. And miskeen means a person who is eligible to receive zakat. They should feed 60 people like that. Alright? They can either feed 60 people or they, and they have to feed 60 people two meals. The suhoor and iftar equivalent. So 120 meals. They could feed one person 120 meals. They could feed 30 people four meals. There's any way they can do it. Uh, and I'll tell you in a moment also in hadith, there's also a financial equivalent that a person can do for this. Alright. Who is going to be determined as having this ability? Right? One is certainly physical and medical. Second is that some ulama, and this is not clear, different ulama are more strict in their fatwa. Some will say it's only physical or medical. But would that mean that anybody who has shown that they can fast a month of Ramadan shows that they can fast a month? Anybody who can fast one month medically can fast two months medically. Some ulama say no, ability istitaat can also mean their spiritual ability. That some person may not have that himmat, they may not be able to do it, right? So one way to ascertain that then without letting the fatwa become too lenient is to make them start, <laughs> to definitely start them out on it and then if after 10, 15, 30, 42, 41, whatever days, agar puncture or right? If they're not able to do it and they say, I just couldn't do it, then they have proven that they don't have istidat. Some have said, no, start them again. Start them plus give them one restart. Some have said one start, three restarts. How many failures will it be to establish that they don't have istitaat? But no one has been so lenient to say at the outset a person can just say no, mutsani yoga. No. They have to start. They have to start and then they have to generally be sincere in trying to follow Allah Ta'ala's command and they have to beg and make dua to Allah Ta'ala to enable them to fulfill it. And if once, twice, thrice, depending on the fatwa, they prove themselves unable, then they would fall in the third category. And the third category of it'ami miskin was to feed that poor person 60 times. Now look what Allah Ta'ala says about this. Feed 60 poor people, two meals. This kafara is so that you may have imam. Ya Allah, only somebody who has iman is going to do this kafara. So by iman here means baqa'i iman. Your very iman depends on paying this kafara. So that's why a person, that's why the ulama said, you can't take it lightly that I can't fast two consecutive months. Allah Ta'ala is saying, billahi wa rasuli. This is so that your iman may be remain intact in Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala Rasulullah And again, this shows the strength of which Allah Ta'ala is arguing the side of a woman. Allah Ta'ala is saying is to the man that not only were your inappropriate false words reprimandable, blameworthy, censorable, you will face a penalty. And if you don't expiate yourself through this penalty, then your very iman is in danger. Allahu Akbar. All of this by saying, Munkaram min al just by saying inappropriate one sentence. Imagine how strongly Allah Ta'ala will view that man who says an inappropriate paragraph, or a person who goes beyond verbal abuse, now the beyond is physical abuse. Imagine how angry Allah Ta'ala will be over such a person and how much the iman of that person is in danger. So again, And these are the hudud of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. These are the limits prescribed and set by Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. There's no mention of iman here, kufi here, there is no, right? So what does it mean? Literally, yes, it means that for the disbelievers, there will be a painful torment and punishment indeed. 
But it means also for those who deny. Kafir can mean disbeliever, it can mean those who deny these hudud. So this ayah has general, the end of verse 4 is not just about the kafara for zihar, it's about all of the hudud that Allah Ta'ala has mentioned in Quran. It means that following the prescribed punishments set by Allah Ta'ala in Quran, what are called hudud, are necessary for the very baqa of our iman, and anybody who doesn't do so, Allah Ta'ala has given an ishara here, وَلَلْ kafirina azabun alim. That a person who denies the hudud of Allah SWT will have a terrible torment and punishment. And second, that by denying the hudud of Allah, if their iman is not baqi, then they may actually even die in a state of disbelief. And then the literal meaning would be the they have an eternal unending punishment in the akhirah. This shows the importance of hudud in our deen. So this means that hudud is part of our iman. And that is why the ulama, many people wonder that why the ulama is so insistent on hudud punishment. There's so many other things to look at. Why don't they talk about education or energy or economy, right? Well, yes, some ulama talk about that. And secondly, ulama felt that education, energy, economy, that is the job of the state. They don't feel that we should interfere in that. That's the job of the minister of education, the minister of finance, and the minister of energy. Right? But when it comes to hudud of Allah SWT, those few, few in number prescribed penalties that Allah has mentioned in Quran, none of the ministers are going to rally to that cry. That is the job of the ulama to rally to that cry. Alright? Okay. During those two months, if he fasts in those two months, so a few other legal rulings, if he fasts in those two months, the ulama of all certain, one thing to help him in his istidad is he should leave his home and live separately from his wife for two months because that's also something that some people find difficult. And obviously in this case, this all of this started from the slight postponement of certain relations. So then two months postponement may be too much for a person. So that person should live separately. Uh, means he would have to move. The wife stays in the home. The husband would have to move somewhere else. Right, then I mentioned to you there's a financial uh, as well, so that one option is to feed one miskin two meals for 60 days, or any num- 120 meals to any number of miskin over any number of days. And then Nabiya Karim Sassam also said, uh, rather I should say, no, the Fuqaha mentioned uh, that they've used Qiyas and said, okay, what is the amount uh, that would be spent on that food, and this obviously will change over time. Uh, the, what is mentioned by the jurists about the food is the food should be of slightly above average, right? It doesn't mean just dal roti, 120 meals of dal. It doesn't mean 120 meals of the most expensive mutton curry either. Something that is in between these two, 120 meals of such a quality and such a value. Then, because the general principle in Sharia is that whatever is given to the poor should be what is called anfa'ul al-fuqara, what is of most benefit to them. So if it is felt that, okay, this person is eligible for zakat, they are below the Islamic poverty line, but they actually have food, right? It's not necessary that everybody who's eligible for zakat means they don't have food either, right? There are some people who are able to have two meals a day, but they're still eligible for zakat. So in such a person, then it's anfa, it's more beneficial for them to be given something which has monetary value in today's day, cash, in Earlier times, the Fuqaha mentioned half a sa'a of wheat or one sa'a of dates or one sa'a of barley and they have to be given that amount for 60 days. And in this day and age, the price equivalent, the market value of that could also be given if it is viewed that as anfa'u lil-fuqara. Alright? 
Okay. And then once the kafara is completed, then although a divorce never took place, but the kafara put this gap between them, the husband and wife can return to one another. Now listen to the next ayah, which is, yes, it is beginning another topic, but the rupt between this passage, verses 5 and onwards, and the one before, is the first few words of this ayah, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يُحَادُونَ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ كُبِتُوا كَمَا كُبِتَ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ Indeed, those who yuhaduna, this is a strong word, it can mean those who, um, we can say, oppose Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what does it mean? Now it's talking about something else, but it also is connected to what came before, that when you don't implement the hudud, your iman is in danger, your kufr is, falling into kufr is in danger, and it is classified as opposing Allah ta'ala and the Prophet Now here it's mentioning that, uh, and you can say this also that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Yuhad <coughs> those who oppose Allah subhanahu and or the Prophet. So this also shows that if anybody says, No, I just follow the Quran, but I don't follow Hadith and Sunnah, they're opposing Sayyidina Rasulullah. I will follow Allah's rules, but I won't follow the laws that the Prophet mentioned in Sunnah. And I'm going to come and show you that from Hadith and Bukhari in the next surah, in Surah Al Hashr. Uh, that is also opposing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what happens? Kubitu. Kubitu means that this person will be disgraced. Right? Uh, will be disgraced like those before them were disgraced. Okay. Then Allah says, وَقَدْ أَنزَلْنَا آيَةٍ بَيِّنَاتٍ And indeed we have sent clear signs and it can also mean we have sent clear and clarifying verses of revelation. وَلَكَافِرِينَ أَذَابٌ مُحِينَ And indeed the unbelievers and all those who deny in these signs and verses will face a humiliating, Mohinas from Ehana, will face and suffer a humiliating punishment. Alright? So what does it mean? Number one, it means that if they deny Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by rejecting the signs and then deny Allah ta'ala by rejecting His commands. Commands are in the verses and Allah ta'ala's existence are in His signs. يَوْمَ يَبْأَثُهُمُ اللَّهُ جَمِيعًا And this will be a day, remember that day of judgment, Allah Ta'ala will raise and gather all of them together. فَيُنَبِّئُهُمْ بِمَا عَمِلُوا And then Allah Ta'ala will inform each and every one of them about each and every deed that they did. أَصَاهُ اللَّهُ وَنَسُوهُ And they, <coughs> and Allah Ta'ala has gathered and kept a record and Allah Ta'ala has encompassed every single deed that they did وَنَسُوهُ But they, while they have forgotten وَنَسُوهُ While they come in such a state that they have forgotten those deeds وَاللَّهُ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ شَهِيدٍ But indeed Allah Subh'ala Ta'ala is shaheed is a witness over each and every single thing and really we should think about ourselves we're the same way we don't remember our sins if I told any one of us that I want you to write down every sin that you did in June, you won't remember it. There's no way. You may, How many would you remember? I would say the best of us wouldn't even remember 50% of the sins that we did in June. Let's say I say, okay, one year ago in June 2011, how many prayers did you miss? Write it down. You don't even remember anymore. You have no idea. You've sinned and forgotten the sins. And when we show up in front of Allah on the Day of Judgment, every single sin will be there in the Book of Deeds. That's why Sayyidina Rasulullah taught us in Sunnah to make istighfar 100 times a day. That's why the ulama and mashayikh teach us to make istighfar 100 times a day and to make niyat mutlaqan, umuman, generally, generically for all of our sins, the ones that we remember and the ones that we've forgotten. Because here in this ayah it's clear 
Now you see when our Mashaikh say that Allah Ta'ala forgive us for the sins that we remember and the ones that we've forgotten because it's in Quran that they've forgotten their sins and they will be shown those sins on the Day of Judgment if we don't make Tawbah from them. Right? Here, the disgrace, here Allah Ta'ala was just mentioning to the disbelievers, uh, the Mushrikeen of Makkah Makaraman, that when they are going to, because this is Madani Surah, so they are constantly sending these <coughs> armies against the Prophet Sallam, to hear is just, by the way, if you will, to Sali, Allah Ta'ala thanked the Prophet just like previous disbelievers who fought against their prophets were disgraced and humiliated and lost, just like that these people will be disgraced. And so you see in the whole history of the Madani period, it ultimately ends in now, Alam Tara Annallaha Ya'lam Mafis Samawatu Mafla or do you not see that Laspata knows each and every single thing that lies in the heavens and the earth? Ma Yakunu min Najwa Thalathatin illahua rabihum. Najwa is a word that refers to a secret private gathering. A gathering that is held secretly and deliberately concealed. And similar another word that comes from says Munajat comes from the same root. Munajat are used for our special secret individual private du'as, our mu'mineen, du'as that the mu'mineen make secretly to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that nobody else knows. The private supplications are called munajat. So this word has both. That's why if anybody is named najwa, sometimes some people pick words from Quran and give their daughter that name to Prashan Here, yes, the word najwa is being used in a negative way, but najwa can also be linked to munajat. So it's technically permissible to name a woman that. Although it's preferable in our deen to name boys and girls after names of Anbiya, names of Sahaba, names of Siddiqeen, Salihin, or second, to pick if you want to start a new name, which is use a word that has never been used as a name. For example, one of our students' name is Lareb, that people took from Quran, Lareb Afi, right? Um, then if you want to take, if it's not used as a name, right? Normally in Arabic history, that construct, so if you do that, then at least you should pick a word that has a good meaning. Permissible, but less preferable than selecting a name from amongst the names of the Anbiya, Siddiqeen, Salihin. Right? Like Bilal, mashallah. That's a good name. Right? So here, I just wanted to mention this. Right? About Najwa. So Allah SWT is saying is that Allah SWT does not see that Allah SWT knows every single thing that is in the heavens and the earth. So how do they think they can hide their gathering from Him? And Allah SWT makes it clear that never, whenever you try to have a secret gathering of three, except that Allah Ta'ala is the fourth of those three, never can you have a gathering of five, except that Allah is the sixth of them. Wala adna min dalik, and similarly, whenever they are less or more, either way, wala adna min dalik, wala akthara, whether less than that or more than that, illa huwa ma'ahum ayna ma'kanu, except that Allah Taala He is with them wherever they may be, right? So this is Allah Taala showing His all-encompassing knowledge. So here Allah Taala used the same thing, asahullah, that Allah Taala as all-encompassing knowledge of what they do here, Allah Ta'ala's all-encompassing knowledge of their secret meetings, regardless of what measure of secrecy they adopt. This is two meanings. One is people get together in secrecy to plot. First thing, which is the literal meaning, they get together in secrecy to plot, conspire. Second is people get together in secrecy to sin. Both things here are mentioned. That whenever you get together secretly and try to conceal your gathering for any evil, sinful purpose, whether to plot, conspire against mu'mineen, or to sin with one another, Allah Ta'ala always knows. Always knows. And then Allah Ta'ala said, 
Again the same thing. Then Allah Ta'ala will inform them بِمَا amilu About each and every single thing that they did يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ On the Day of Judgment إِنَّ اللَّهَ بِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ alim. Over there was Shaheed, here is Alim Allah Ta'ala is witness to everything Allah Ta'ala knows everything And Allah Ta'ala will inform people Although this verse has come elsewhere In a different format Here it says هُوَ مَعَهُمْ أَيْنَ مَا كَانُوا In other places Allah Ta'ala says هُوَ مَعَكُمْ أَيْنَ مَا كُنْتُمْ That Allah Ta'ala is with you wherever you are Imam Razi has mentioned that the Mayyat of Allah Ta'ala, this is to explain a point that some of you heard in the Midnight Majalis this year, the Mayyat of Allah Ta'ala is the bridge between wujub and imkan. What does this mean? Allah Ta'ala is wajibul wujud. He is necessarily existent. He is the only being who has true existence because he's independently self-existent. We and every member of creation is mumkinu wujud. We are in daira imkan. Means we could have existed, we could have not existed. Our existence was a possibility. It was not a necessity. Any one of us could not exist and everything would have been fine. It's not possible, conceivable, even hypothetical that Allah Ta'ala didn't exist. It's completely possible, conceivable and hypothetical that any one of us could not have existed. Everything, that would have been fine. So we are in imkan and Allah Ta'ala is in wujub. The bridge between these two realms is Allah Ta'ala's mayyat. How is the nexus from which Allah Ta'ala, who is wajibul wujud, how does he interrelate and interact with beings like us who are mere mortal mumkinul wujud? That is his mayyat. So mayyat doesn't just mean with, like the sense that we are sitting with each other, because that's a physical sense of mayyat. This is the sense of mayyat, that what is in daira wujub is with and ever and always with and present and informed and seeing and watching and knowing what is in daira imkan. This means the complete opposite to what a secularized theism holds, which is that yes, we believe in the blind watchmaker, that there is a supreme being, but he is absent from the world and unknowing of the world, doesn't know the particulars of the world, is not engaged in the world, he just created us and created the laws of physics and that's it. But that's their most important makhluk for them, is the laws of physics. And Einstein is their Nabi. He is their Khatam al-Nabi. Actually, right? He is their Prophet. So this is, no. This verse is explaining Allah Ta'ala is not like that. He's not blind watchmaker, absent Allah. He's mayyit with everyone. With the people of good when they do good, with the people of evil when they do evil. His all-encompassing awareness and presence is with every single member of creation. In all of the Samawat and the earth. Then Allah SWT then continues about a specific, uh, what happens here in verse number 8 to 10, is specifically now a specific secret greeting. And that was that the Jews of Medina Manawara, they had officially made a treaty, you would remember, and it's coming in Surah Al Hashr more about what happens to the Jews of Medina. They made a treaty with the Prophet, but they would have secret meetings in which they would actually conspire how to break that treaty in secret, surreptitious ways so that they could not even get caught. So here specifically then in verses 7 to 10, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about that. And the second thing is that the munafiqeen also used to join them in some of these meetings and some of these conspiracies. So one example that is given in the hadith is that uh, they would, the Jews of Medina Manawara would simply sit along, let's say, the, whatever the road or walkway was and taunt the Muslims. As they went by, so the Muslims, when they went to the Sahaba, went to the Prophet and said that we've made a treaty with these people, but they sit and they taunt us. So Sayyidina Rasulullah went to the Jews and he forbade them. He said that because you were under treaty, so this is 
considered part of the spirit of the treaty that you cannot even verbally taunt or jest or be <coughs> snide with any of the Sahaba. But they didn't listen, they continued to do so. And then they started even becoming more bold and they started taunting the Prophet So instead of saying the Islamic greeting, Assalamu Alaikum, what the Sahaba say, they started saying, Assalamu Alaikum, that may death be upon you. Right? And so they started even being snide and taunting the Prophet directly. Then, once when this happened, this another hadith in Bukhari Kitab of Tafsir, that once when the Jews said this to the Prophet the Ummah it's interesting hadith, so I'll mention to you, Ummah said to Aisha because she was quite Jalali. So she responded to that Jew and said, No, may death and a curse come upon you. Right? And Sayyidina some sort of, Oh Aisha, be lenient. Be lenient in parting because Allah Ta'ala loves leniency in all matters. So when the Prophet told her this, she said that, didn't you hear what they said? <laughs> I merely told them back what they said to you. So, Bara, in this interesting hadith, it shows that Sayyidina Rasulullah's own tabiyat was that even when, the Jew, even when the Jews were under treaty, and means under mutual protection, but also protection of the Muslims in Medina Manawara, and he told them not to taunt the Sahaba on the pathway, they came back and started taunting him directly to his face, and said, Assalamu Alaikum, in front of his wife, I mean, you see today, husband, if somebody says something in front of your wife, right? And then his wife responded, and then still Sayyidina Sussam told him to be lenient with them, because Allah Ta'ala loves leniency in all matters. Allahu Akbar Kabeera. This is Rahmatullah Alameen. Such a kind and forgiving Nabi Karim Sussam is an amazing example. Amazing example. Here, you also have the example of Sahabiyat. They're also hujjat for us, right? So, Umm Aisha is her own shan and her own example. So here's, this is what is going to happen in these verses from 8 onwards. Alam tara illa nuhu anin najwa. Do you not see those people who were forbidden from najwa? They were told not to do it. Thumma yuuduna lima nuhu anhu. Then still thereafter they returned to that which they were prohibited from doing. Buryatana jauna bil ithmi wal udwan. So what did they do? They secretly made it for what? Bil ithmi? To do sin? But Udwan and to conspire in their enemy, uh, uh, to in their enmity. Well, Maasiyat al Rasul and literally means to disobey the Prophet to hurt the Prophet Maasiyat means to disobey. Wa ida jauka, hay when they uh, when they came to you, Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallam. What do they do? Hayyuka bima lam yuhayyuka bihillah. They greet you, hay. Hayya, hay is greeting. They greet you with that which Allah Ta'ala has never greeted you. And so I told you what those words were. Right? As-salamu alaykum. وَيَكُولُنَ فِي أَنفُسِهِمْ لَوْ لَا يُؤَذِّبُنْ اللَّهُ بِمَا نُقُولُ So then they would say to themselves, فِي أَنفُسِهِمْ So they, what did they say to themselves? And why doesn't Allah Ta'ala punish us for us what we say? So they were bold and daring. Saying this to the Prophet of Allah and saying that, look, where's the punishment? We haven't been punished. So Allah sponsored, حَسْبُهُمْ جَهَنَّمْ that no, their punishment and their hisab and what is sufficient for them will be Jahannam. Yaslonaha fabitsil masir. And they will be cast into it and it is the worst of places for them to end up in. It means that their punishment will be in the Akhirah. It's not necessary that Allah Ta'ala will strike them down on earth when they say this. Their punishment will be in the Akhirah. Their punishment is more intense. This is also, and take the general meaning of this verse, this is a delusion that many of us have that we do a sin and nothing happens to us, right? Then we become more bold in doing that sin. We do it the first time and not, we're not struck down. We don't lose our job. We don't lose our health. Everything continues. 
So we get bold and we continue in that sin. So here, no, Allah Ta'ala sent a shana for us also, that every time you do sin, you won't be struck down on earth, but there will be a punishment in the akhirah that will have to be faced. Next, Ya Yuhalladina Amana, that O you who believe. <coughs> so when you do najwa, when you gather in secret meetings, then what does Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala say? But when you do it, sometimes you may also have to get together secretly. But you should not do so. Don't do it for the sake of sin. Don't do it for conspiring and maybe envy, jealousy against some other mu'min. And don't get together secretly to disobey Sayyidina Rasulullah But rather, but rather, if you have to get together secretly, you should get together, have secret, special gatherings for bir and taqwa. Yes? That you should get together and gather for bir and taqwa for the purpose of virtue and piety. That's the best, maybe, English way. You should understand now bir and taqwa in its own original Arabic language. But let's say for virtue and piety... Allah, and you should fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala towards whom you will all be gathered. So I will explain this to you in another way. Right? Let's just finish this verse 10. In the manajwa shaitan. And indeed know that secret meetings and conspiring conferences, these are actually from shaitan. And this shaitan does to cause grief to those who believe. And know that but shaitan and none of the meanings he conspires to have gathered, none of that can harm the believer shay'an in any single way, illa bi'ithnillah, except by the leave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and it should be in Allah ta'ala alone that let the believers should trust. Right? So this means that the secret meanings of the disbelievers, the, sometimes people get scared, right? That these enemies of Islam are getting together, they're conspiring against us, what's going to happen? So here let us send Quran that no, no harm and grief can cause come to the believers except when Allah Ta'ala allows. When will Allah Ta'ala allow them and their meetings to harm us when we leave our deen? When we leave our deen, then Allah Ta'ala will let their planning be as strategically incredible as they make it. He will let their strikes and their military weapons be as precise as they design it. He will let their military strategy be as successful as they plan it. Their secret meetings and conspiracies and classified gatherings will be successful when we leave our deen. But if we had not left our deen, then Allah Ta'ala would have never put any success in that. As we witness in this historical period of the Madani period, that the Kufar and Mushrikin and Makkah Makarramah kept gathering, kept conspiring, kept plotting, Munafikin of Medina kept gathering, kept conspiring, kept plotting, Jews of Medina kept gathering, kept conspiring, kept plotting, and it came to nothing. Nothing could stop the power of Deen and Mu'mineen and Sahabi Ikram and Nabi Ikram at that time. And the same thing could happen today. So what is the key feature of Allah Mu'minun and on Allah Ta'ala and Allah Ta'ala alone should the Mu'mineen have trust? Now I'll give you another idea of what could be Najwa. Secret meetings, one type of secret meeting today, it's my own contemporary tafsir. That is internet and cell phone. So don't use the internet and cell phone to do sin. 
Don't use internet and cell phone fi rasul to disobey Sayyidina Rasulullah but use internet, cell phone, whatever you want to call it, even social networking, lil birri wa taqwa, for virtue and taqwa. So what does it mean? Watch very carefully. When there's a double-edged sword, Allah Ta'ala said in Quran about these najwa, right? That they can be used for ithm and udwan. Instead use them for bir and taqwa. means there's no neutral ground. You cannot use it for recreation. This is the nukta we got when reading this ayah. Don't use the internet for recreation. I grew up with other forms of recreation. Generations of human beings have not needed to surf and read random sites for recreation. There's only two ways you can use these secret things. Either for itham and udwan or for outright clear-cut bir and taqwa. Don't use it for neutral stuff. There's no neutral use of it. So if you accept this understanding of internet and cell phone and website and surfing and social networking as najwa, as secret gatherings, only and only use it for bir and taqwa. Get your news if you need to. I personally don't feel you need any more to read the newspaper for 10 minutes once a week or once a month. Get it from somewhere else. Whatever else you do on the web that is other than bir and taqwa, do it offline. Offline. Online, the only thing should be is bir and taqwa. Because this is what Allah Ta'ala is saying. If you take umumi meaning from this, when something has double-edged, it's either going to cut for you or cut against you. There's no neutral way. Put it this way. If you're not cutting for you, it is cutting against you. That ghaflat is putting in the seeds of sin. That recreational surfing is laying the groundwork for the sinful surfing. So there is no other way around it. So we should have this attitude for anything in this world that we find. That it has use, can be used for khair and can be used for shar. That when we use it, we will never use it neutrally, recreationally. We will only use it for bir and taqwa. Right? Next, verse number 11. Ya ayyuladzina amanu idhaki lalakum tafassahu fil majalis. Allahu Akbar. Majalis kundu barzakir aga. Yes? Oh, you who believe. Aladina amanu. Right? So when it is said to you, tafassahu, you can translate this as when it is said to you to make way or to make space. Right? To make room. Make room, make way, make space. In majalis, in gatherings. Fassahu. Then you should make way. And this is such a simple adab, right? It means that somebody comes late and they tell you guys to sit together. You should sit. You should look and Right? <laughs> right? And this is what Allah says in Quran. Yes? When you're told to make way, make room, make space, you should make room, make space. And this is such a small adab, right? Look at Allah's Allah's karam. Allah for ajeeb. What does Allah Ta'ala say? Yafsahillahu lakum. Allah Ta'ala will make room for you. Allahu Akbar Kabira. <laughs> You're sitting in majlis. This is the barakat of majlis. This is one thing that you can only get in majlis. Fil majalis. The adab of the majlis. If you keep to the adab of the majlis. If you keep to the adab of the majlis. Hmm? You have a way that Allah Ta'ala can make way and make room and make space for you. Ajeeb. Hmm? Ya Allah, I'm going to make way for somebody to sit. What is this has so many meanings in it. Yafsahillahu lakum. Allah Ta'ala will make way for you. Number one meaning first, Allah will make room and space and way for you out of sin. 
Allah will make room and way and space for you inside taqwa. Allah will make a space for you inside haya. Allah will make room and space for you inside sabr, inside shukr, inside yakin. All of that just by making space for someone in the masjid. See, look at the adab of our deen. Hmm? And look at the karam of Allah SWT. So this is a general ruling also that when you fulfill hukukul ibad, Allah Ta'ala can make space for you in hukukul law. Not just for this adab, for all of the adab that we have between people. That Allah Ta'ala can make a space for us. And وَإِذَا كِيلًا شُرُوْ وَإِذَا كِيلًا شُزُوْ That when it is told to you to stand up and leave. Get up and leave. <laughs> it's Quran. <laughs> yes, this is what we're saying. There's another adab of the majlis. That when it is told to you literally to rise and leave, then you should rise and leave. What will happen? Allahu Akbar Kabira. So when you are told to rise, you should rise. Yarfa illahu ladina amanu minkum. Allah Ta'ala will raise. Say something. Hmm? Allah Ta'ala will raise those of you who have iman in you. Now you should think every time you stand from the madras, you should be happy when I told you get up and go. You got sad yesterday before. Huh? You didn't know this ayah. <laughs> yes, if you rise and go, Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala will raise those of you who have iman. All you did was you stood up and you left. That's it. What a small act you did. And Allah Ta'ala is going to raise you spiritually. These are adab, adab. This ayah is explaining that process to you. And those who have been given ilm, darajat. This is another very important thing. I will have to explain it. The translation on those who have been granted ilm, they have been raised darajat, multiple stages, multiple levels. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is all-knowing and all-informed about each and every single thing that you do. Right? Okay. The reason for rising and leaving was that we shouldn't create difficulty for the host and specifically this meant for Sahabi Kram and we did an earlier in Ramadan we did another passage like this that we shouldn't Sahabi Kram should not create difficulty for Sayyidina Rasulullah by overstaying past and beyond the Majlis so when Sayyidina Rasulullah dismisses them they should be dismissed and even greater adab is to realize that the gathering has been dismissed and even before the Prophet has to verbally tell them dismiss they would then silently dismiss themselves before being dismissed. Even then a person would get this. Rafa and being raised from Allah subhanahu ta'ala. So here Allah ta'ala said Allah ta'ala elevates the believers. And then when Allah ta'ala all of a sudden mentioned this issue of Rafa. Of elevating. So then Allah ta'ala mentioned the fazilat of the alladheena utul ilm. Those who have been bestowed ilm. That they are raised darajat. They are raised multiple manifold many levels. So this ayah establishes clearly. Right. That those who have ilm are the mu'mineen who have ilm are, are been raised by Allah Ta'ala to a higher daraja than the mu'mineen who don't have ilm. This is Allah Ta'ala's day. This is Allah Ta'ala's gift. This ayah is a direct, clear-cut, and ambiguous response to all of the reformists and modernists who try to teach the youth of this ummah that kisi alam ke paas jane ki zirut nahi Ab unko kyu aap se better samajhte Kyu aap se samajhte Allah is saying in Quran, Allah is saying in Quran, 
darajat. And those who have been granted ilm, they are raised darajat, levels and levels. Darajat is plural. Those of you who know, it's not the sneer, it's plural. It can mean, Allah knows how many levels. Multiple and manifold levels. So why do we not go? Why should we not get ilm for those who Allah has raised? Yes, fine, not every single mother is a graduate may fall in this definition. Just like every single medical graduate you would not let do your operation. Believe me. Every single medical school graduate is not worthy of touching your body, operating on your body. Just like that, not necessarily every single mother graduate is worthy of doing spiritual operation on you. But you will always get operated by doctors, right? The opposite isn't true. Not every medical school graduate is worthy of operating your body. However, only a medical school graduate will I allow to operate on my body. So similarly, maybe not every single mother graduate is worthy of operating on your roux. But I will only let my roux get operated on, I'll only let my roux get operated by somebody who has ill. That's clear in this ayah of Quran. So no, wait, there's no room left for the reformist, modernist, non-scholarly approach to Islam. No room. We have to make another announcement that Suzuki Swift 2010 color with license plate LED251, you have parked in front of a gate. If you're a boy, get up quickly without any shame. Suzuki Swift. Oh, yeah. All right. So, this is very important. All right. Uh, and in, in a beautiful hadith, uh, two hadith I'll read to you number one Sayyidina Rasulullah said the virtue of an alim the fadila of an alim who carries out his faraid his mandatory obligations and then sits down to teach people good things that person is superior over the abid the worshipper who fasts the entire day and prays salah the entire night the virtue of an alim who does just the required things and spends the rest of his time teaching others is superior to that Abid worshipper who fasts all day and prays all night, like my fazilat over the lowest of my ummah. The Prophet said, So this shows why do they have darajat? Because they're the teachers. Because the Bihakim said in the famous hadith about Abu Bakr that Adalu al kafa'ilihi, the person who guides to a deed will be like the person who does the deed. So you may be able to pray your own individual tahajjud, but if you teach thousands of people about the hajjud, then you get swapped for them, right? And another hadith which is very good for you, for the latecomer, the person who passes away while seeking ilm, and while seeking ilm so that the deen may be established, his rank in Jannah will be only one rank lower than the Anbiya. Hadith of Sayyidina Susan. That means that however late you start ilm, hmm, even if you pass away while seeking that ilm, you never even got that ilm, let alone that you could use that ilm to establish and elevate deen on earth. But you were seeking the ilm of the ilm so that the deen may be established and elevated on earth and you passed away in such a state. Such a person's rank in Jannah will be only one rank lower than that of the Anbiya. Allahu Akbar Kabina. means the highest possible rank. We can, none of us can get the rank of Anbiya. We're non-Anbiya. Highest possible rank in Jannah is given to that person who seeks knowledge with the intention not to make themselves famous but to establish deen and elevate deen on earth, and even they pass away even before that happens. That means all the men and women who are listening, no matter how old any one of us should be, should make niyat that we want to be part of this tradition 
of being talib, like Sayyidina Rasulullah says in the hadith, talib ilmi farida, that seeking knowledge is mandatory ala kulli muslimin wa muslima, on every male muslim and female muslim. And this is the barakah that it has, so this is the darajat of ilm. So imagine then that person who actually acquired the ilm and then used that ilm with ikhlas to establish and elevate deen on earth. So they would undoubtedly get that darajah, right? So that's another, this hadith is another tafsir of this ayah that in terms of akhirah also, the ulul ilm have been given darajah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright, now we have to speed up a little bit. Verse 12. Ya Allah, amanu idha najaytumul rasula. So again this notion of najwa. That you believe when you speak privately to the Prophet So when you get the private consultation. Post majlis, individual malakat. Yes? <laughs> yes, yes. That's what's being said. Ida najaytumul rasula. Fakaddimu bayna yadayn najwaakum sadaka. Now this rule is going to be abrogated. But the original rule is that before you meet the Prophet you have to give sadaka. You must offer sadaka before you directly confer with the Prophet. That is better for you and that is more pure for you. Means that if you do not find, means you do not find the means and ability to give this, then Allah Ta'ala is all forgiving, all merciful. So what happened? Allah Qurtubi Ramatana's tafsir Ahkamul Quran has mentioned, interestingly, Ajib, Allah Qurtubi Ramatana has written this, that and he quotes a hadith narrated from Sayyidina Abdullah bin Abbas that's in Medina Manawara now so many Sahaba were meeting the Prophet and so many Sahaba were asking the Prophet some questions that the Prophet couldn't handle them anymore the Prophet could not, yes it's exactly word for word he could not manage them anymore so then this verse was revealed that okay before you meet the Prophet you have to give sadaqah this was done to check the sincerity of the people and also to make it difficult, right? This was a bit of bar. So then some of the Muslims were not able to afford that. Some of the Sahaba were poor, so they couldn't do that. So the amount of questioning went down, right? Then what happened, right? What happens here now is that Allah is going to abrogate this verse, right? Uh, the next verse 13 abrogates, in a sense, verse 12. So then what it means, Allah Ta'ala lifts this ruling that no, okay, now to meet the boss individually you don't have to pay, go give char- voluntary charity first. So now you would think that okay, well then the number of questions were served. No. What Allah Ta'ala did was He trimmed the questions to let a period pass in Medina Manawara where Nabiya Kareem could do the Tabiya, Talim and Tazkiyah of the Sahaba. Then most of their questions were answered. Yes? Most of their questions were answered. Then this rule that you have to give sadaqah first was lifted and no problem and there were just still few questioners and questions left. So the Prophet was not burdened in such a way. Ajib, you can see the history of Tazkiyah and Tarbiyah in these ayat of Quran. Alright? So then Allah Ta'ala says in verse number 13, And that are you, it means are you hesitant or, or do you shrink from giving charity? Do you shy away? Are you reluctant to giving it before your private consultation with the Prophet So if you don't do it, then Allah Subhanahu wa will relent towards you. You should establish salah. You should pay regular zakat. You should obey Allah Ta'ala and obey the Prophet and everything. And Allah Ta'ala is all aware and all informed about each and every single thing that you do. 
So this verse has been understood to abrogate the earlier one that okay, Allah Ta'ala has relented towards you, just make sure you establish your salah, pay your zakah, obey Allah Ta'ala in everything, obey the Prophet in everything, and then you can ask questions, no need for sadaqah. But the reality, there's no need for questions. <laughs> the person who is doing itaat Allah and itaat Rasul has much less need for private consultation. Alright? So this is what these two verses establish. Now if you remember, I told you that it's slumped somewhat abrogated. Not 100% abrogated. Why? Because if you go back to verse 12, the words Allah Ta'ala used, ذَلَكَ خَيْرُ لُكُمْ وَأَطْهَرْ That this is better for you and more pure. So that doesn't necessarily indicate an obligation. So some ulama take this today, that when a person goes to the Rosa at Medina Manogra, that before you go, and now for us that is our private consultation, our secret conversation, private conversation, our najwa with Sayyidina Rasulullah so a person should still make niyat so that we can do amal on every ayah of Qur'an, because at least it is not at the level of obligation, but atar to abibiyosakta, more pure and better for you. So a person should give sadaqah. It doesn't have to be right before they go. On the way it can be, they can give it in their own country before they go with that niyat, that I'm giving sadaqah before I go to Medina Manawara, and they will have done amal on this ayah, and they can hope that Allah Ta'ala will make that meeting a meeting of more khair for them, and a meeting of more, which is more atar and more pure for them. Just so you know that this, uh, you know the amount, so this was Sayyidina Ali Rilan, that when Allah Subhanahu wa revealed this verse, so Imam Tirmidhi Ramadan reports a hadith from Sayyidina Ali, that Sayyidina Ali Rilan says that when this verse was revealed, Sayyidina asked him, Sayyidina Ali that do you think, what, what should, because the, the amount is not mentioned in the sadaqah, so literally the Prophet turned to Sayyidina Ali and said, do you think that the Sahaba will be able to afford one dinar? Sayyidina Ali replied that the Muslims, the Sahaba will not be able to afford it. Sayyidina said, what about half a dinar? Sayyidina said, that would be too much. Then Sayyidina said, what? You tell me what amount would be possible. So, uh, Sayyidina said that they will be able to afford a barley grain's weight of gold. Dinar is gold, dinar is silver. One dinar is ten dirham at, at that time in Medina Manawara. So, barley's grain means one grain worth of gold. It's very small, maybe even less than a dirham. So, Sayyidina Rasulullah said, that, oh, Ali, you have reduced this amount a great deal. Right? So, then Allah SWT then revealed this next verse, uh, the first part of that, that, are you reluctant to offer charity before your private discussions? So here, Sayyidina Ali used to say to the Sahaba, that is because of me that Allah Ta'ala lowered the charity that you have to pay. All right. But this was a very brief period, very brief period that they had to do this. Now, verses 14 to 20, now we'll have to move much quicker. Verses 14 to 20 is about the monafics. Monafikin um, in Have you not seen those who befriend a nation? Alam tara illa alayhim. That have you seen those people tawallu have make as their wali? Tawallu, to take someone as your wali, as your deep and intimate friend and ally. Qawman, such a community, ghadiballahu anhum, though the, such a community who Allah Ta'ala is angry with them. So here Allah Ta'ala is looking, talking about the munafiq, that do you not look at the munafiq, that they are befriending the Jews, and they are conspiring the seek gatherings with Jews against believers. And this is where the Mufassirun said that when Allah Ta'ala Surah Fatiha said, غَيْرَ maghdubi, The maghdub is here because ghadiballahu anhum, alayhim, uh, is about the Jews. 
So the Jews are the community who Allah Ta'ala is angry with. Certainly it applies to the Jews of Medina Manora. Doesn't mean every single individual Jew alive today. But it's talking about those Jews of Medina Manora and any Jew alive today who is like them in that they conspire against the deen of Islam and they conspire against the mu'mini. Ma hum minkum, wala minhum. And Allah Ta'ala is saying that look these munafiks, they're double munafiks. They're neither with you nor are they with them. What happens is this long incidence many times that the Jews actually thought that the Munafikin would help them and the Munafikin didn't help them either. So it's showing their pure nifaq, right? That they're neither from you nor they're from them and وَيَحْلِفُونَ عَلَى الْكَذِبِ And they swear on lie and falsehood وَهُمْ يَعْلَمُونَ And they're completely knowing. I mean they have no intention to fulfill that oath and they swear on falsehood and they lyingly swear. By the way, those of you who are being trained and to read Jummah Khutbah Al-Kadib Kadib is the more mustamal master of this verb lying. Most people think it's Kadib, so they went, well, but it's Kadib Ayyuhlik. Alright? Inna Sidka Yunji, Kadib Ayyuhlik. Kadib, Kadib. Alright? Technically, Kadib is also okay, but Al Kadib with the Kasra on the Dal is more preferred. So they are. Uh, so, uh, Indeed, Allah has prepared a tremendously intense punishment for them. And evil indeed is every single thing that they ever used to do. They take their oaths as a junna, as a shield that they hide behind it. So that's why they were always saying, so, No, no, don't you see? We swear our fealty to you. When anybody would suspect either side, Mu'mineen or Jews would suspect them or try to accuse them or try to out them. Haven't we sworn our allegiance and fealty to you? So they took their oaths as shields and what did they do? They used to stop people from the path of Allah stop people from coming deen for Allah so for that so theirs will be a humiliating punishment. Neither their wealth will benefit them. None of their children will benefit them. Allah will make them mustaghni from Allah SWT. Means none of these things can help them against Allah SWT in the slightest. But rather they're the companions in the fire. They will dwell there forever. And that day when Allah will gather, resurrect and raise them all together. Then Allah Ta'ala, uh, then they will take oaths in front of Allah subhanahu wa just the way they take oaths in front of you. Means their level of nifaq. They will stand in front of Allah and they just, Allah Ta'ala, no, we swear we were mu'mini, we were with you. Allah Akbar. <laughs> what does that mean? This is why they're on the lowest level of Jahannam. Now you may think, how could any human being do that? So that shaitan did that. Shaitan also saw Allah Ta'ala and spoke right directly to Allah Ta'ala. So the munafiqeen get so fallen, such a degraded level of humanity, they become like shaitan. And just like shaitan talked to Allah SWT, talk back, they will talk back to Allah on the Day of Judgment. Means they lose every aspect of their humanity, even the innate fear a person should fear, feel for Allah on the Day of Judgment, they won't have that. They will take qasam. They will take qasam. فَيَحْلِفُونَ لَهُ كَمَا يَحْلِفُونَ لَكُمْ They will take oaths in front of Allah, Him, Allah SWT, just like they took oaths in front of you. Allahu Akbar. وَيَحْسَبُونَ أَنَّهُمْ عَلَى شَيْءٍ They will think, uh, they will think that they are upon something. They have something that will get them away. 
Allah innahum humul qadibun. No, but indeed they are certainly liars. Istahwada alayhim shaitan. And shaitan has overpowered them. How? Fa'ansahum zikrullah. Like how did shaitan get to these people and make them munafikun? How did he do that? Fa'ansahum zikrullah. He made them forget the zikr of Allah SWT. Allah Akbar. That's why our ulama mashayi keep pushing us do zikr, learn zikr, do zikr, do zikr all the time, 24 hours a day. Always do zikr. Always be in a state of zikr. Because what, how did shaitan get these humans to become munafik? To be so degraded that they will take false oaths in front of Allah SWT. فَأَنْسَاهُمْ ذِكْرَ Allah. He made them forget the zikr of Allah Taala. And this also means, it means that forgetting the zikr of Allah could ultimately, not always, but could lead to this ultimate downfall. It also means that this is a tool of shaitan, that he makes people forget the zikr of Allah Taala. So whether he uses that tool on us to bring us all the way to munafikun, or he uses that tool on us to make us amongst the ghafilun, but this is a tool of his, right? So it means that every single attempt to get people to do the zikr of Allah Ta'ala is sanctioned by Allah Ta'ala in the Qur'an as part of taking shaitan as an enemy. فَاتَّخِذُوهُ أَدُوَّةً Allah Ta'ala says in the Qur'an that He is an enemy to you and take Him as an enemy. So it means to remind ourselves and others of the zikr of Allah Ta'ala is Ayn Qur'an. Ayn Qur'an. أُولَاكَ هِزْبُ الشَّيْطَانِ Allahu Akbar. And they forgot the zikr of Allah Ta'ala so much that they are now called Hizbus Shaitan, they are the party and group of Shaitan. Allah inna Hizbus Shaitani humul khasirun. And indeed, know and behold that the group and party and associates and fellows and affiliates of Shaitan, humul khasirun, they will be the ones who are going to be an ultimate, penultimate loss. Inna lini yuhal dun Allah wa rasuluhu. Indeed, those who oppose Allah Ta'ala and, the mess- and his messenger, Ulaqi fil azalin. They will be the most disgraced. The most, one is zilla, one is azal. The most disgraced people. So again, this ayah makes it clear, right? Those who oppose Allah Ta'ala and those who oppose the Prophet Those who oppose Quran, those who oppose Hadith, they will be the most disgraced people. Most disgraced in this world and the most disgraced in the Akhirah. I think it's pretty clear. Some commentary, but we'll just have to skip it. It's self-explanatory, right? Uh, one thing you can just think that this word, Hizbush Shaitan, is a very strong word, right? That a person becomes so molded by Shaitan in his like that they become beings of hasad, beings of nifaq, beings of false oaths, beings of talking back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that they become so like Shaitan, they become Hizbush Shaitan, they become Shayateen in of themselves, Right? And who, and this is an ashara that who are such people? Those who oppose Allah Ta'ala and the Messenger, they are amongst such people. And elsewhere, Allah said in Quran that the Munafiqeen will be in Darkil Asfal, in the lowest level of the fire of Jannah. So, right now, you just had Utul Ilm, highest level of Jannah, other than Anbiya, and one or two eyes later, you had mentioned of those who have the lowest level of Jannah, the Munafiqeen, people who have forgotten the zikr of Allah Ta'ala. So just these few ayahs give you the importance of ilm and zikr. Right? Ilm and zikr comes up in these few ayahs. Kataballahu la aglibanna ana wa rasuli. Allah Ta'ala has prescribed and ordained 
that I, I, Allah Ta'ala, will certainly be Khalib, I, wa Rusulihi, and all of my messengers, inna Allah kawiyun aziz, indeed Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is all-powerful, almighty. So here Allah Ta'ala is saying that the success in Allah Ta'ala's decree is that Allah Ta'ala and His messengers will always prevail. لا تجد قوما يؤمنون بالله واليوم الآخر that you will not find any قوم any people any group that such that they believe in Allah Taala and they believe in the last day such people whenever يودونا يودونا from مودة it's also like محبة love they can never love you will never ever find anyone who believes in Allah on the last day such that you are you are duna man that they can love the person who opposes Allah and opposes the messenger. It's not possible. Our iman demands that anybody who opposes Allah and opposes the messenger of Allah, we can never love them. We may associate with them. We may negotiate with them. We may treat with them. We may trade with them. We may teach them. We may be taught by them, but we can never love them. We can never love them. All of our love is for the sake of Allah Ta'ala alone. Right? Even if that person who has opposed Allah Ta'ala is from their own fathers, parents, even then they cannot love such a person. Mu'manim cannot even love children, sons and children, if those sons and children oppose Allah Ta'ala's messenger. They cannot love their brothers and siblings. They cannot love them. Yes, they may still be kind to them, may still protect them, may still financially support them. They cannot love them if they oppose Allah's Messenger. And generally this means family. Even if it's their fathers, sons, brothers, or families. It means parents, siblings, spouses, or families. Allahu Akbar. And the stories of this, so, mashallah, are legendary, right? From Sahaba Ikram, right? And this is a hadith we've done for you in Abu Dawud. مَنْ أَحَبَّ لِلَّهِ وَأَمْخَلَ لِلَّهِ وَأَتَعَ لِلَّهِ وَمَنَعَ لِلَّهِ فَقَدْ إِسْتَكْمَنَ الْإِيمَانِ That that person has perfected iman when their love is for the sake of Allah, their dislike is for the sake of Allah, they take for the sake of Allah, they withhold from the sake of Allah. That is the perfection of their iman. So many stories of this. Normally we tell you the story of Sayyidina Bakr Shadikr and Talbot. Another story of Badr, Sayyidina Abu Ubaidah ibn Jarrah. On the battle of Badr, he killed his father Jarrah. His father came on the other side, right? And this is an extreme situation, right? Because the father is opposing Allah and his messenger. The father is there to kill the son. More important, the father is there to kill the prophet of the son. If somebody comes to kill your prophet, even if he's your father, you're going to slay him, right? And I always say that Sayyidina Abu Bakr Shadiq told his son, Sayyidina Abdurrahman ibn Abi Bakr, right? He told him that, oh father, that we met before he accepted, now he did, he accepted Islam later, but initially he wasn't, and he came on the battlefield in Badr, and he said that if we had crossed swords, I wouldn't have attacked you because you were my father. He said, oh son, if we had crossed swords, I would have struck you down on the spot, irrespective of whether you were my son. This is the ayah. Many people don't understand, like, oh, that's a bit extreme. Hmm? It's Quran. It's Quran. What did Allah tell us in Quran? Walau kanu, walau kanu aba'ahum o abna'ahum. Even if they be their own fathers, their own sons. Allah is showing us in Quran that the bond of deen is more important. It doesn't mean, don't get me wrong, not loving doesn't mean disobeying, disrespecting. No. There's no negative behavior being sanctioned here, no negative behavior being called to here. 
It's just saying that it's actually expressing, not even, it's expressing what should be automatic for a believer. It means that the true believer is incapable, doesn't have to force themselves. They're automatically, inherently incapable of loving someone who opposes their Allah and their Messenger. Even if that someone be from their parents, siblings, and children. That's what it means. They can't love such a person. All right? That's the story just to indicate how much that is taken. That's if the father comes to kill your prophet. Otherwise, it doesn't mean you should be against your father. If your father doesn't love Allah SWT and the Prophet or sorry, if your father opposes Allah SWT and the Prophet you will not be able to love him. But it doesn't mean you have to necessarily oppose him and disrespect him. Right? Okay? That should be clear. I'm going to finish the ayah. These are such people who Allah Ta'ala says is prescribed and literally means written Iman fi kulubihim in their spiritual hearts. And Allah Ta'ala has helped them with a ruh from himself. Now what does this ruh mean? Many uh, Mufassirin have tackled this differently. Some have said ruh means Allah Ta'ala sends Jibreel Islam to help them. Some have said Allah Ta'ala sends angels to help them. Some have said ruh means Allah Ta'ala sends a mercy to help them. Some have said the ru refers to sukun and itminan that comes into their heart. Because otherwise it's an emotional sadness for a person that my father is against my Allah's messenger or that my son is against my Allah's messenger. So Allah Ta'ala helps them overcome that emotional sadness or for a wife, my husband is against Allah Ta'ala's messenger. Right? So Allah Ta'ala helps them with what? وَأَيَّدُهُمْ بِرُوهِمْ مِنْهُ From a ruh, from a sense or spirit of sukun and itminan from his part. And it can mean all of these things. And they will be entered into gardens and and they will dwell there and Allah Ta'ala is pleased with them and they are pleased with him. This ayah is held to be about all of the Sahaba Ikram and that's why after the name of any Sahaba we say but it can also mean any such person who loves Allah Ta'ala so much that all of his loves are for Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala That's why technically speaking the fatwa and sharia is that saying is not khas with the sahaba. Then people get parashan. Somebody Once somebody said Imam Ali for Radiallahu Anhu people are doing itras. That's khas with sahaba. There's no hadith and ayah which makes it khas with sahaba. It's our own urf that we always say that after the sahaba. But this verse in Quran is not exclusive to sahaba. Anyone who is like this that they can incapable of feeling love for anybody who opposes Allah and His Messenger, anyone who is like that, who has that level of iman, radiallahu anhum Alright? Differences that we may not know that about someone definitively, but we know it about the Sahaba definitively. That's why we say it after the name of the Sahaba. But if somebody feels that definitively about someone, let's say for example, I say Imam Bukhari radiallahu anhum, 100% jayz and shirin. That's the way I feel about Imam Bukhari. But I cannot hold you to that. You can say you disagree, you don't know. But as far as Sahaba goes, I can hold you to it. That's why saying Radiallah, anybody who does itraz about even saying Radiallah anu after Sahaba is going against this ayah. Because this is confirmed for them. And for others, it's a matter of choice. Right? Ulaika Hizbullah. And these people, the early one, Hizbullah Shaitan, these are Hizbullah. Now don't think any contemporary political group. Right? Ulaika, these people, people who have such incapable of feeling love for those who oppose Allah's Messenger. They are Hezbollah. They are the fellows, associates, faction, party, group of Allah SWT. Allah inna Hezbollahi humul muflihun. The others were khasirun. These will be muflihun. They will inevitably, ultimately, penultimately be 
triumphant. So here ends this surah, Surah Al-Majadah. The next surah, surah number 59, Surah Al-Hashar. Surah Al-Hashar. Alright, Hashar in itself, you will have seen Yom Al-Hashar. The Hashar means to be gathered. But Hashar also means sometimes specifically in Arabic that type of gathering when people leave a place. So when you have a mass exodus and then a reassembly. And that's why that is used for the Day of Judgment because humanity has a mass exodus from earth. Everyone enters their graves one by one. And after departing their this residence, then they will all be gathered again, anew, afresh in a new place. So that is the sense that Hashar means. To regather or to gather anew after some exit or some exodus. You will see why I'm, use, I'm explaining the meaning of this word to you. So this is also a Madani Surah of Quran Al-Karim. That each and every single thing that is in the heavens and the earth is that tasbih glorifies Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, declares and proclaims and affirms that Allah ta'ala is amazing and is adorned with every wonder and perfection, is free from every flaw and defect. Defect. Almighty, all wise. Allah Ta'ala is that being who took out those who disbelieved from the people of the book. It's very important. It's also as many people think that kufar is one category in Quran and Ahl Kitab is another category in Quran. And this is another modernist mis- misrepresentation of Quran. So look what Allah Ta'ala is saying. There are people. kafaru min Kitab. From amongst the Ahl Kitab, there are two groups. Alladina kafaru and Alladina amanu. Alladina kafaru, those who are in Ahl Kitab and they deny Quran and the Prophet they are called Alladina kafaru min Ahl Kitab. Alladina amanu, they are those who were from the Ahl Kitab and they now take Iman in Quran and the Prophet they are called Alladina amanu. So there are only two categories of human beings, Alladina amanu and Alladina kafaru. Every community has two such groups. Right? So the Ahl Kitab are the same way. You should not think that the three groups, people think the three groups, they're believers, they're kuffar, and their third group called Ahl Kitab. Ahl Kitab has people who leave that and accept Islam, they're called Ahl Iman, and the people who don't leave that, they're called Alladina Kafirum and Ahl Kitab. So Allah Ta'ala is the one who took those out. This is specifically referring to a particular Jewish tribe, uh, and they were ex- ex- taken out from their fortress, and then they were exiled. Most of them went to Khyber, few of them went to Sham. All right? This also I have to explain to you because there's a second time this will happen and some here this is a technical point of this here some view this also as one of the Muafakati Umar because in the time of the Khilaf of Sayyidina Umar which is post-Quranic right he exiled a second time the Jews and some later the Mufasrin said that Allah Ta'ala is referring to that future exile that Sayyidina Umar is going to do as the second Hashir therefore Allah Ta'ala is calling this the first Hashir You thought that they would never ever leave. And you thought that uh, they would never ever leave or emerge from their fortress. And they thought that their fortress would mana would save them. Would save them. Uh, mean save them you know, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? But Allah ta'ala came to them. Means Allah ta'ala's hukam and command came to them from where they could never estimate and imagine. And Allah cast a ru'b, an awe, a terror and an awe in their hearts. 
and they spoiled, I mean literally they destroyed their own homes, they uprooted their own homes with their own hands, and even the hands of the mu'mineen. I'll explain all this. So those of you who have insight, you should reflect and take heed on this whole incident. If Allah had not prescribed from them exile, then Allah Ta'ala surely would have punished them in this world. But rather in the Akhra and the hereafter, they will have the punishment of the five Jahannam. This is because they opposed Allah Ta'ala and the Prophet And anyone who opposes Allah Ta'ala Indeed, Allah Ta'ala is severe in punishment uh, and severe in uh, punishes very severely. Alright. So this is a long incident here. Okay. There were two tribes who have done for this view before. Banu Nadir, Banu Qureza, and Banu Qinuka. Three main tribes. Few small, smaller, smaller, lesser tribes. Three main tribes in Medina Manawra. Now the story of the Banu uh, Nadir is what is being mentioned here. And the story of Banu Qinuka is coming a little bit later today. And the story of Banu Qureza I did for you earlier uh, in Surah Azab. When we did Surah Azab, this was when they were executed. We did that in detail when we did Surah Azab. So what happened here, very quickly, uh, when the Biyakarism came to Medina Manawra, and historians have differed, did this take place after Badr and before Uhud, or was it after Uhud as well? But there's this incident when the Jews and the Munafikin in these secret conspiratorial meetings that they were having, they came to this agreement. Uh, and that the Jews would break the treaty. Uh, and how did they break the treaty? I mentioned this before. Zadith and Bukhari that Nabi Akim went to go visit, was supposed to visit them. And he went with Sayyidina Abu Bakr, Sayyidina Umar, and Sayyidina Ali. And they were sitting somewhere and Allah Ta'ala revealed to them that they had planned to bring you here and to drop a huge boulder on you. So when Allah Ta'ala revealed that to the Prophet, the Prophet left. And because Wahi is a hujjat in Ardeen, so that is a factual proof that they intend to break their treaty. So then Sayyidina Sassam broke the treaty with them and said that you uh, had intended to assassinate me. So, uh, because Allah Ta'ala saved the Prophet by letting him this, so then Nabi Akram returned to Medina Manara. When he returned to Medina Manara, he sent Sayyidina Muhammad ibn Maslama to the Bani Nadir that you have to leave Medina. You're no longer, you're not worthy of living with us in this mutual peace. They, when they got this message, so the Munafikin went to them and said, no, no, you don't have to leave. You should stay right where you are and if it comes to a battle, we will come and join you in battle. Right? They prom- It's a false promise. Right? They took their false oaths and they promised that we'll join. So the Jews then became emboldened by this. They sent the message back to the Prophet we refused to leave. When the Prophet got that message, he said, okay, he left Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Umar Mukhtum as Amir of Medina and he went out. This is the Sunnah of Nabi Akim. He always went, almost a few, few, but all of the major battles, Sayyidina Sussam went himself along with Sahaba. Didn't manage it from CENTCOM headquarters, SNA. Uh, our commander in chief, Alhamdulillah, was general in chief and in the first rank. Alhamdulillah. Yes? So Sayyidina Sussam went himself. He left Sayyidina Abdullah bin Mukhtum, Sahaba, as Amir of Medina. And they went now, this uh, Banu Nadir, they had this fortress. Massive fortress near Medina, and they were holed up in the fortress, and they had no intention of leaving, and they thought they could hold out. Now let me tell you what is coming, the rest of the ayat, and let me just explain it to you right now. So what did the Prophet do? So first they lay what is called siege, they surrounded the fortress, 
Different historians have mentioned different numbers of days. Six days is the most common one. Some even said up to 15 days. In Lama Waqadinam, they said 15 days. Allah right? But some days, several days, it lasted. Then what the Prophet did, he instructed the Sahaba Kram to burn, because they could see from the fortress, to burn the date palm groves that belonged to the Jews. Now some people have said that this is against plant rights. Right? Actually what happened was it's very simple. That sometimes if violating plant right can preserve human right, that is worthwhile. This was the strategy used by the Prophet inspired by Allah Ta'ala. Ta'ala mentions it clearly in Quran. It's coming in the next few ayahs. Inspired by Allah Ta'ala. Why? This is what made a bloodless, bloodless victory. When the Sahaba, when Allah Ta'ala inspired the Prophet, revealed to the Prophet to order Sahaba to burn the date palms, when the Jews saw that, their hearts, because they were so attached to their gardens, they just lost all hope. And said, what are we holding ourselves out for here? And he had offered us exile. Originally he had told us to leave. And now we have nothing to stay behind for anywhere because they're starting to burn our date palm trees. So what, let's go and see if he'll still give us that same offer. And let's just leave. And you know, clearly the munafikin have not shown up. So there are traitors. So there's no hope for us now. The Muslimin are against us. Munafikin have abandoned us. And we've lost our date palms. We might as well migrate somewhere else. So then they told the Prophet that we want to take your first offer. We exile. And we want to go. And the Prophet let them go. And they made a deal, which I'll also explain to you what that is. And then they left and no single drop of blood was spilled. So yes, sometimes you have to burn a few trees to make it end in such a way that there is no... You know, but I'm amazed at the things people do itraza. Allahu Akbar Kabira. Right? These people killing human beings and they love them. And here Sabakram burning a few trees. And Yashurin Quran, they didn't burn the whole day proms. After they started burning and then the Jews sent this message, then they went and they put out the fires. They st- it's in Quran, I'll show you. And they stopped burning the rest of the date palms. And then the Jews started coming out. When the Jews came out, the deal they made with the Prophet let us take our belongings and camels with us. Now, let me explain the whole thing to you. Now, there are two words used for spoils of war. One is called fei, male fei, and one is called male zanima. Malaganima is those spoils of war that you get when a battle occurs, right? And when the mu'minin are successful in that battle, that is called Malaganima. Malefei is that in such a situation when there's a bloodless, without a battle, you get spoils of war, which means the belongings that they're going to leave behind in the fortress, obviously that's going to go to the Islamic treasury, Beitul Mal, but that's not Malaganima because that wasn't won through battle. That was won through bloodless. Mm, victory. So Mali Ghanima, a share of that goes to the actual Mujahid. Double the share for the cavalry, single share for the infantry. Right? But in Malifay, no share goes to the... Because there was no battle. So there was no Mujahid in that sense. Right? They went with that Niyat, but there was no actual battle. So the Ahkam of Malifay are different. I mentioned this because that's also coming now. All of these ayats explaining that also. So just explain that to you in advance. So because Nabi Qasim knew that this is Malifay, we're going to get it, but at the same time he was merciful to the Jews because he was also happy that it was a bloodless affair. Right? So he told them, okay, look, you can take one camel for every three of you. So you, not every one of you can take a camel. They put the goods on the camel, right? So for every three people you can take one camel, and however many goods you can fit on that camel, you're welcome to take it. That was the deal that was made. So what they started doing was they started dismantling their own homes, literally taking out the doors and the locks and that type of thing. 
And then the Sahaba, when they saw this, the Sahaba started helping them. <laughs> so that's what it says here now, that they started taking down their homes with their own hands, Sahaba also started helping them. Yes, <laughs> that's what it means. So Sahaba come also. Mashallah. Have you seen any such bloodless battle? <laughs> I think in the entire history of humanity, this is the most peaceful way any fortress was ever evacuated. And but itras karne wale itni gandi nazar se dekhte They can still try to raise their finger about a few date palm trees. Allah Akbar kamira. You should learn this. You can never win <laughs> that debate. People, your teri soch hai na, aap isko seedhe nahi sakte. It's just not possible. You can make dua that Allah Taala put hidayah in them. You cannot. Many sometimes you can. You can welcome to try, but you should realize that sometimes it's difficult to explain to them. Alright? Okay. So now. I think we've explained everything to you about this incident. <coughs> Alright, so let's continue. How far did I do for you? Don't worry, it's not us Verse number five. So okay. So I've explained all this to you. Let me just go straight to the next verse because I've translated the verse. I've explained the verse. Verse five is now onward about the date palm and the faith. So verse verse number five. Ma kata'tum minlinatin, o taraktumuha. Neither did you cut any one of those date palms, or taraktumuha, nor did you leave any one of them standing. So they left them second, right? that you left it standing on its roots whatever you did was by the leave of Allah was due to the wahi that Allah sent on the Prophet so the initial cutting and burning of them and leaving the rest of them standing was all done by Allah why? was to humiliate the here the Jews are being referred to as Fasikin, that they were sinful in the sense that they betrayed their treaty with Sayyidina Rasulullah And the reason for this is also because the same itras that people have, few handful of ultra-modernists have, is the same thing the Jews said. Because Jews are so attracted, so this is how they were human. They called out from the windows, and they asked the Prophet they said, Ya Rasulullah that you prevent people, they didn't say Ya Rasulullah they said Ya Abul Qasim, that you prevent people uh, from anarchy, so isn't the cutting of your date palms trees anarchy means you prevent people from fitna. And this is the fitna that you're destroying these gardens. So here uh, was the answer uh, to them also and to any other person who objected uh, that no, uh, this is from the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Second, it also comes into the that some Sahaba didn't want it to be cut down initially. The ones who had not heard because it's a large gathering, the Prophet told some Sahaba, Allah commanded me to cut down. The other Sahaba didn't know that Allah Ta'ala told the Prophet they thought some Sahaba were coming up with this tactic on their own and the other Sahaba didn't want because they wanted that what we're going to win no matter what we'd rather keep the whole date gardens for ourselves so some Sahaba who were further away didn't know the Prophet himself commanded they told the other Sahaba that what are you doing why are you cutting this down so again this verse was then revealed another reason this verse has been said to be revealed and recited was to make it clear to all the Sahaba that no no this is a, something that Allah Ta'ala himself has commanded alright okay then verse number six, Wama Afa Allahu Allah Rasulihi Minhum. So this Wama Afa Allahu Afa is referring to this 
malefe. So what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, gave this malefe to the Prophet so that's saying that you did not go to them with your khayl, your your mounts, and your steeds. You can also translate it as your horses and your camels. You did not actually wage a war against them. You did not drive into them your horses and camels for this. But rather Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants Nabiya Karim victory and triumph over whomsoever Allah ta'ala wills. So this is called malifay. Wallahu ala kulli shayin kadir and Allah ta'ala is power over everything. Ma afa Allahu. This afa'a is why they call it malifay in the terminology. So what Allah ta'ala has granted, uh, you can say afa'a, you know, ifa afa, what Allah ta'ala has granted or awarded. What Allah ta'ala has granted and awarded the Messenger Sallallahu the Prophet min ahlil qura from the people of these villages uh, is for falillahi. So first is, is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number two, walil rasuli. And number two is for the Prophet Number three, walil zil qurba. And it's for the relatives of the Prophet Number four, walil yatama. It's for the orphans. Number five, walil masakin. And it's for the poor and the destitute. Number six, walil sabil. And for the traveler. Alright, now let me explain this categorization for you first. First, it's for Allah. So obviously it doesn't mean that Allah SWT is going to take any of that property and belongings and stuff that the Jews left behind. It's mentioned for Barakah. That actually all of it goes first to Allah SWT. Then Allah SWT is then going to, has the right to determine and decree how it will be distributed. Second, when it's mentioned for the Prophet ﷺ, this is also for Barakah because unlike Mali Ghanima, it's also called Anfal. And that one-fifth goes to the Prophet ﷺ. Here, it doesn't go to the Prophet ﷺ either. He doesn't get a fifth. Nabi Yaqim does not get a fifth of Malifay. Here it's also for Barakah that it first goes to Allah Ta'ala. He then gives the authority to the Prophet and the Prophet is now going to distribute it. But it does go to the relatives of the Prophet And they were given a share. So for example, Nabi Yaqim took from this incident some of the belongings and gave it to Umahat al-Mu'mineen. Right? Because they... So it's like a stipend for the mothers of the believers. Uh, and in this particular incident, the Prophet took just one year's maintenance. So this is also something that some Muhaddisin have mentioned. It's not a fat, strict fatwa, but it's a lesson, but it's not an obligation, put it that way. That sometimes people ask, and how much can we save? So up to one year's maintenance. Some ulama give that ruling based on this incident, that when the Biyakism took a stipend or allowance for his family, how much did he take? He took enough from the malefe from this incident, that is up to one year's maintenance. So let's say you say, you know, multiply that by 12, that is how much you can save. And beyond that, should be donated. Right? That's a lesson, non-obligation, but it's giving you an idea, right? That we're not supposed to have unlimited savings. But there's also some sense of budget, right? There's also some sense of short-term planning. So here Nabi Iqsim took one year's maintenance uh, out for each and every one of the Umahat al-Mu'mineen uh, but just so you maybe understand this, right? <laughs> Again, I remind you, you should go to that museum, Medina Manawra, where you see the model of the Hujurat of the Mahatma Mu'minin. You know, probably five, ten could fit in this room that we're sitting in. Extremely, extremely, I was myself stunned. Even though we had read in the books of Hadith that they were very humble, when you actually see a scaled model, and the model also has the masjid, so you see actually how small. It was almost like you want to call it a closet, really. 
I couldn't even call that a hujra. Very small room. Very small room they were living in. And so you can imagine how little their monthly expenses or even annual maintenance was. Then Nabi Yaqnim gave the rest of the malafay to the fourth, fifth, and sixth categories, the orphans, right? The yatim and the miskin and the, the Ibn Sabil, the travelers, right? Uh, there's a long hadith in Bukhari where uh, there's a hadith where it mentions the division that the Prophet did. All right? Now, the next line has a specific meaning but has a very important general meaning. So go back to verse number 7. Two very important lines over here. Number 1. Ke la yakuna dula and some kirat also translates as dola. Ke la yakunu dula tam bain al-agniya imankum. So that the dola, so that the dula, so that the wealth should not remain only between the agniya minkum, the wealthy amongst you. This ayah has general import as well. That the Quran al-Kareem, in Quran al-Kareem, Allah is making it clear. Allah does not, this is the anti-capitalist. Does it mean you have to be Marxist by the way? Right? The response to capitalism is Islamic welfare economics. It's not pure communism. But here Allah Ta'ala is in Qur'an making it clear that concentration of wealth in the hands of a few, that should not happen. And that's what you find even in Muslim countries. You have 90% of the wealth and the 10%. And then the other 10% of the wealth and the rest of the 90%. So that's against the Qur'an. That's against the philosophy of Qur'an. So if you want, in modern terms, you could call this the anti-elite ayah of Qur'an or the egalitarian ayah of the Qur'an. It's a very important general philosophy that wealth should not be concentrated in just a few wealthy. Next, very general ayah, general phrase, still in ayah number seven. وَمَا أَتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولُ فَخُذُوهُ That whatever the Prophet bestows upon you, you should grab it. وَمَا نَهَاكُمْ أَنْهُ And whatever he forbids you from فَانْتَهُ You should refrain from it. وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهِ And you should fear Allah SWT. إِنَّ اللَّهَ شَدِيدُ الْلَقَابِ Indeed, Allah Ta'ala is severe in punishment. So this ayah is one of the most important ayahs which are mentioned. Uh, and those of you who remember our earliest lectures that we would give you at the University in Islamic Studies, the authority of Sunnah. Many, many ayat in Qur'an which establish inside Qur'an that the Prophet has independent legislative authority. This ayah establishes like whatever the Prophet tells you to do, you have to do it. So I told you this a long hadith in Bukhari where the ahkam of malifay, the rules of this type of booty are mentioned. So they're not mentioned in Qur'an. So here, this one ayah, it gives authority to all the hadith. If anybody asks you about anything that's in hadith, that will show it to me in Quran. Just read this ayah to them. I'm going to show you Sahaba did this. I'm going to show you this in a moment. In another hadith in Bukhari. Anybody ask you anything that no, 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 may hadith kun iman to show me in Quran. Just read this ayah to them. What is this again? Surah Al-Hashr, Surah number 59, the end of verse 7 in Surah Al-Hashr. Whatever the Prophet tells you to do, do it. And whatever he tells you to stay away from, refrain from, abstain from, you refrain from it. Alright? And then many, many other ayat that established the legislative authority of the Prophet I will give you one hadith in Bukhari. And this is narrated by Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Masood that what was his amal. So yes, sometimes Imam Bukhari also mentions the amal and aqwal of Sahaba in his collection of hadith because they are viewed as a hujjat of what the Prophet wanted. So a woman, uh, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Masood said that Allah Ta'ala said to people that Allah Ta'ala curses the women who wear tattoos 
who and who who draw tattoos on others and who have themselves tattooed, right? Even used to get asked this question at the university. Hmm? So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala curses that woman from a man. I never got asked by a woman. Uh, that Allah Taala curses those women who draw tattoos on others and who have tattoos drawn on themselves. So when a woman heard this, must be a woman of the Tabin. So she heard this. She came to Sayyidina Abdul Masood and she said that I heard that what you said, and she said, but I will only curse who. Who Allah Ta'ala has cursed in the Quran. And I've read the whole Quran. I have not found any ayah in Quran. Literally, this is what the word for word saying Bukhari. Imam Bukhari says, I have not found any ayah in Quran where Allah Ta'ala curses the woman who draws <laughs> tattoos on herself or uh, draws tattoos on others or has tattoos drawn on herself. So Sayyidina Abdullah bin Masood said that if you had read the Quran, you would have certainly come across this. And she said, What? And he recited this ayah to her. He said, Abdullah Masood is known as Sayyid al Fuqaha, Imam al Fuqaha. The Sahaba with the greatest legal understanding. He recited this ayah, right? So we recite it again. That what does Allah Subhanahu say in Quran? That whatever the Prophet tells you to do, فَخُذُوهُ Grab to it firmly. What he prohibits you from, anhu from it, فَنْتَهُ You should refrain and stay away from it. So he recited this ayah to her. And she replied, that, Yes, that is in Quran. I have read that verse. And then, uh, Sayyidina Abdul Masood that Sayyidina Rasulullah said. So that's why it's hadith that Sayyidina Masood that the Prophet said that Allah Ta'ala curses a woman who tattoos herself or tattoos others. And so it shows Imam Bukhari, the Muhaddithin quoted this incident. Abdul Masood Sahaba quoted this ayah. Right? That this is an understanding of our deen that every single legal injunction in hadith and not in Quran is given authority by this verse of Quran. Verse number 8. Okay, next category of who else gets the mal face. We did 6 so far. Verse number 8. We're continuing the list. So for those muhajireen who are fakir. Muhajireen, remember, are all of those sahaba who migrated from Makkah Makarma to Medina Makarma. This is a Madani verse, right? And when they migrated, they left behind. They were like also in exile type situation like these Bani Nadir Jews who left. They left behind their homes. They didn't even take their doors with them. They left behind their homes, wealth, property. So when they came to Medina Manawra, few of them were able, like Sayyidina Usman al-Ghani, was still able to be well off. But a lot of Sahaba who were not above the poverty line, put it that way, when they migrated to Medina Manawra as Muhajir, they came underneath. So they're called little fuqara'i for the fuqara of the Muhajirin. So yes, this is obviously already included because Allah Ta'ala mentioned miskin, right? So it's still, that's why it's not a separate category. But here Allah Ta'ala is showing in Quran his special regard for the Muhajireen and their sacrifice of Hijrah and Allah Ta'ala is attesting to the fact and showing that he knows the great sacrifice that they did and they were destitute as refugees and travelers, right? And they were taken out from their homes and they were taken out from their possessions. And they're seeking the fuzzle of Allah Subh'anaHu Ta'ala and his fuzzle and karam, his grace and, and with rivana and his pleasure. وَيَنْصُرُونَ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولُهُ And they're helping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this is Allah's kind way of saying it. Allah doesn't need any help. But by doing hijrah they were helping the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Indeed those sahaba muhajir were sadiqun. That's why any sectarian ideology 
that tries to teach that even one of these Muhajir Sahaba, who are Muhajir, includes Sayyidina Abu Bakr, includes Sayyidina Umar, includes Sayyidina Uthman, includes Sayyidina Ali, radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'in, any sectarian ideology that tries to bring you something in their history book with some event and tries to make you think that those Khulafai Rashidun are not good people or even worse tries to make you think they're unbelievers Allah Ta'ala is that being who knows all of past, present and future Allah Ta'ala knows all of the real history that happened let alone what the historians recorded and Allah Ta'ala is saying in Quran about all of the Muhajirun How can anybody say any one of them is a liar? Hmm? All of the Muhajir Sahaba are truthful. Alright? So this is the fazilat of the Muhajirun. This one ayah is sufficient to answer every single website that you can ever email me. Yes? Because all those websites contain historical reports by historians about purported events that happened. And all of those historical reports have one allegation that those Sahaba were liars. And this ayah Allah Ta'ala says, Ulaika humusadikun. That they are ever and always and perpetually and eternally truthful. Right? So we take our deen from Quran, not from websites. We take our deen from Quran, not from historians. Right? We take our deen from Quran, not from sectarian ideology. Clear? Alright. So this is Allah Ta'ala mentioning the shan of the muhajireen in this ayah. Right? And it also mentions another thing, the allegation I say, no, they had other reasons they tried to cast aspersion on their hijrah. That they migrated for this reason, that reason, dunya. So here Allah Ta'ala said, maybe anticipating what they said, right? That why did they do? Yabtaguna fadlam min Allahi wa Allah make clear, no. Their hijrah was pure. Purely for the sake of the fadl and pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So nobody can ever cast a doubt on every muhajir. After this ayah that no, they migrated for some other reason, they weren't really true, they're not really companions, they're not really believers, na'udhu billah, Allahu Akbar. Anybody who says such a thing has done kufr of this ayah. Anybody who does kufr of any single ayah of Qur'an becomes a kufr, does kufr of deen. That's simple. Alright? Walladheena. Then, this is Allah Ta'ala's incredible, beautiful mercy in verse 9. اب انسار بھی سن رہے right? کیا ہو رہا ہے انسار بھی سن رہے کہ مہاجرین کو بھی ملے گا تو ہم میں بھی سے کچھ فقیر ہیں even though we're included in the مساکین so Allah Ta'ala والذین تبوؤ الدار والایمان من قبلهم and so though this is a beautiful how can I explain this to you in English يحبون من حاجر الیہم ولا يجدون فی صدورهم حاجت مما اوتو means that those, it says this eyes about the Ansar, let's see how he translates this, it says those who made the place their home before they had, and made Iman their home, that's literally what it means, so those who had settled in Medina, and made Medina Munawar their home before the Muhajirin had, right, the Ansar by the way, our tribe actually, they migrated from Yemen, this is also one of the Fazail of Yemen, that the Ansar of Medina were originally from Yemen, so they had settled in Medina, way before the Muhajirun came there, and they had made Iman their home. It means Iman came in their heart. Right? And Medina is their home. Before the Mahajan, Iman is obviously afterwards. And they love, Allah Akbar, they love Yuhibbuna man hajra ilayhim. Each and every one of the Ansar loves the Muhajirin. They love those who migrated. 
And you will not find in the slightest in their hearts and breasts that they have mimmautu, that they have no desire for what's been given. They don't have any envy, any desire for what is given to the muhajirin. So Allah clears them of this, right? Allah is about to give them malifay also, but Allah is making clear that lest somebody later say, oh, unki dil mein kuch ayahoga, that they want it. No, the Ansar were free of that. But they're sitting there, they also want the karam of Allah Ta'ala. They also want the special mention of Allah Ta'ala in Quran. They want that fazilat, right? So that's what Allah Ta'ala is giving them here. وَيُؤْثِرُونَ ala anfusihim, And they prefer the muhajir over their own self. وَلَوْ كَانَ بِهِمْ Even if, that even in themselves, some of them also had need. Even when some, the destitute Ansar would still prefer the muhajir to their own self. This again is adab, right? To prefer one over your own self. And Allah Ta'ala is attesting to in Quran that all of the Ansar preferred all of the Muhajirin over their own selves. nafsihi. I have to talk to us about this a lot. Shuh. Shuh is like bukhul, it's miserliness, stinginess. To whomsoever yuka is saved, wikaya and from taqwa, wikaya is saved from the miserliness of their nafs, then indeed such people will be successful. Alright. So first thing about the Ansar, right? Allah Ta'ala praised them in several ways in this ayah. Number one, that they made Iman their home. So they had made Medina their home, but they also made Iman their home. So that's another, that's the first one Allah was praising them. Second way Allah Ta'ala praised them and that they love all of the Muhajireen means that they didn't regard these new, today people regard a guest as a burden over three days. These people didn't regard these immigrants, refugees, migrants, Muhajir as a burden anyway. Didn't think our economy will go down. They didn't think how are we going to absorb these people. They didn't think like that. This way that we are taught in economics to think is purely rational, cold, calculating human beings. And therefore we should think about things like population control and things like that. Oh, unsardened thing like that. Oh, population is doubled in Medina. How will the economy survive? Hmm? They didn't think like that. They didn't view it like that. Third, Allah Ta'ala says, and they had no want. It means they had no haja, no want, no jealousy at all in their hearts for what the muhajirin are given. And fourth quality that Allah mentions, they prefer others above themselves, even when they, even when they are in need themselves, right? So very famous hadith in Sahih Bukhari, many of you would have heard, it's a beautiful story, when the Muhajirin came, they went to the Prophet and they had so much love for the Muhajirin, they say we want to split, divide all of our date plantations 50-50. And the Muhajirin were also embarrassed that their adab, that they felt bad that these people, you know, that we love them also and we don't want them to just give us half their wealth for free. So the Muhajirin were embarrassed and so they told the Muslim to decline the offer. Then the Ansar still persisted and said, okay, if the Muhajirin feel embarrassed, let them assist us, work on the date farm grove plantation and then they can work with us and share with us. And then Sayyidina presented that and this the Muhajirin accepted. So they became equal partners in that way. Then what happened was when that gathering was finished, there was a particular muhajir who had migrated and was just famished, you can imagine. Extremely hungry. So the Prophet asked that is there any person who can take this one muhajir right now and take him home and feed him. So one of the Ansar, he volunteered, he says, I'll take him home and I'll feed him. So when he went to his home, he told his wife, Ajeeb words of Adib, he told his wife that I brought to you the guest of Rasulullah Allah, he didn't say our guest, my guest. He said, I brought you the guest of Sayyidina Rasulullah. So his wife told him that 
the only food we have is a little food I put away for the children in the morning. He said, no problem. He said, what you should do is that you put the children to sleep. Sorry, not the, the food for the children's supper. He said, you put the children to sleep first without their supper. And meanwhile, he sat with that muhajir talking to him and saying, as if food is being prepared. And the wife, she, mother, she put her children to sleep without their supper. Then they put the food and then she told them that it was because it was the food for the children. It's only food for one adult. He said, okay, no problem. You put the children to sleep. You put the food. You said, in Bukhari. You guys think these are stories that are mashaikta. Because you haven't studied hadith of Khamakha Badzanudatta. Yes? Right? So, he told her, bring the food. And then when I sit with him, you just turn the light off before you bring the food. Right? Visually, it's an Right, you tell him, he'll think that the oil of the lantern, that's how Bidzivanda, that the oil of the lantern ran out. It would happen to people that the oil would run out and then they would have to sit in the dark. So, what he, this is what happened and then his wife did that and then he pretended as if he was trying to fix the lamp and that Muhajir Sahaba, guest of the Prophet and he ate the entire plate because he was so hungry. He ate all of that food and the father and the mother and the children, they went without food. So the next day, when that Ansar went to Sayyidina Rasulullah Allah told uh, Sayyidina Rasulullah told the Ansar that Allah Ta'ala liked your deed of remaining hungry while your guest ate and therefore Allah Ta'ala revealed this extra part of this verse These are the Ansar that Allah Ta'ala reveals Quran because of them. They would feed one person but they had so much ikhlas that entire Quran would be revealed in front of them. Allah Akbar how can you raise a finger against these Sahaba? And it's not just a sectarian ideology. Certain, you know, modern scholars love to suggest the Sahaba were just ordinary people. And they're people for whom Quran was recited and revealed. Allah Akbar. So this verses of Quran. وَيُؤْثِرُونَ عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ Sayyidina Rasulullah mentioned hadith was revealed for this one Sahaba. One Ansar feeding one Mahajir. So there's Barakah in Adam. That's what I told you earlier. There's so much barakah when you have adab in Ardeen. So much barakah. Then we have to mention to you the opposite. The opposite of this is what Allah Ta'ala had mentioned. Shuh. nafsihi. So a person who is saved from shuh of their nafs. So what is shuh? Many hadith on this topic. Allahu Akbar. Just do a few of them because time is short. Shuh means miserliness, stinginess. What does it mean? So, Allah Kurtubi Ramadan explained this in a beautiful way. Shuha nafsihi. Shuh is different from bukhul. Bukhul is when the person's kalb doesn't want to give. Listen to this carefully. Bukhul is the person's kalb doesn't want to give. Shuh is when the kalb wants to give, is ready to give, but the nafs raises an objection. This is that last minute that you take your wallet out or your checkbook out and you're about to give but at the last minute you have second thoughts. A little bit of regret. Should I really spend? Should I really do it? Hmm? You're thinking of giving an Eid bonus to your employee and you take out and you first take, okay, I'll give him 20 and then it's in your hand and before you put an envelope, you're like, that's not your akal. That's shuh of the nafs. That last minute thing, no, your kalb was ready to give. Your kalb motivated you all the way up to the brink of giving, but then you had this nagging doubt that shuh of the nafs. That is what Allah Ta'ala is saying you should save yourself from. 
So we should learn from this, that that always go with your first instinct when it comes to charity. Fine, if your second instinct is to go more, fine. <laughs> but if ever you get that second instinct was, I don't know, am I sure, should I really do this, maybe this isn't the right thing to do, that's shuh of the nafs. Ajeeb. So preventing your kalb from even giving, that is bukhul. When your kalb, mashallah, is pure enough that it wants to give, but your nafs stops you from giving, that is called shuh. So now, what did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say about shuh in Quran? That you have to save yourself from it. Save yourself from it. Nabi Akrim Sassam Majib Hadith in Sahih Muslim. Nabi Akrim Sassam that when uh, oppression, he said, Beware of shuh, beware of shuh, because shuh destroyed communities before you. It prompted them to spill each other's blood and it prompted them to declare what is haram is halal. Right, that last minute greed, that last minute stinginess that comes. Another hadith, uh, Sayyidina Rasulullah, here in a ayah of Quran in Surah An-Nisa, verse 128, Allah says, Shuh has been placed in the souls of men. So something you have, and you have to save ourselves from that. In a hadith narrated by the, in the Sunnah of Nisai, Sayyidina Bairunayah said the Prophet said that the worst of traits in the person is Shuh. The worst of traits in a person is this miserliness and stinginess. Hadith in Tirmidhi, the Prophet said that Shuh and Iman, miserliness and faith, can never share the same heart. And Hadith in Bukhari, uh, Sayyidina Abu and this is a very important, maybe I'll just give this one last Hadith and then we'll have to move on. Sayyidina Habarana narrates that the Prophet said, Imam Bukhari narrated this Hadith, that the most rewarding sadaqah is the sadaqah spent when a person is healthy and when his soul, nafs, has Shuh. Which means the nafs has shuh and he steps on that nafs and gives the sadaqah anyway. The most rewarding sadaqah. So, Sahaba asked the Prophet, which is the most rewarding sadaqah? The sadaqah the person going to give is healthy when he feels the shuh and he steps on it, when he fears poverty and he hopeful, he's hopeful of becoming wealthy. What is hopeful of becoming wealthy? So, my interpretation of this for you is the young earner. So, the young earner, you got your first surplus, you got your first bonus. You got your first, you reached a level in your job that your monthly income is greater than your monthly expenses. It happened for the first time for you, right? So it means now you started getting hope of getting some wealth, some accumulation, some progress. At that moment, if you give, because at that moment, then your shuk will come, right? So all of a sudden you have 20,000 rupees left over before you live month to month. And you say, Chalo, your kalb, if your kalb is for Yibbi, Sazarm, and Dedism. Immediately, Naskarajanga, what's the matter with you? <laughs> it's the first time you got any saving. Just relax a little bit. Right? So when a person steps on their shaha has hope of becoming wealthy and gives it anyway. Allahu Akbar. So this is Hadith in Bukhari for what I call the young earner. Yes, for the young earner to give sadaqah youngly and quickly. Hmm? From their early surplus earnings. Don't wait for that massive surplus. Allahu Alam, will you even live that long? Allahu Alam, whether this success will continue. Maybe this initial success was granted to see if you give that initial sadhga and future success was based on this initial sadhga. Alright? So this is a beautiful hadith of Nabiya Kareem Sallallahu And then he ended by saying that do not delay sadhga until the time when your soul is at your throat. Means to the time when you're close to your death. Right? And then you say on your deathbed to people that give so much to so-and-so and so much to so-and-so. He says, no, it's too, that's, don't wait so long to give sadhga to such a point. Right. There are many more hadith on shuh. Right. Uh, 
Now, next category. Now, after mentioning Muhajir and Ansar number 10, number 10. وَالَّذِينَ جَاءُوا مِنْ بَعْدِهِمْ And those who come after them. So that's us. That's non-Sahaba. Right? Those who come after these Sahaba, Muhajirin and Ansar. So what should they say? This is famous dua in Quran. رَبَّنَا اغْفِرْ لَنَا وَلِإِخْوَانِنَا الَّذِينَ سَبَكُونَ بِالْإِيمَانِ that oh Allah forgive us for our sins and all of our brethren, male and female fellow believers who preceded us in Iman. This also tells us what is our attitude towards Sahaba. This ayah makes it clear. Right? We don't have any allegations, accusations towards Sahaba. This is the way we should be. وَلَا تَجْأَلْ فِي قُلُوبِنَا غِلًّا لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا That don't put any غِل. So second sin. First major sin mentioned was shuh. Second I'll explain this غِل. Ghil means malice, spite, hatred, ill will, negative feelings, suspicions, doubts, negative sentiment. Don't put any of that in our heart. Allah subhanahu fi kulubana in our kalb. Lilladheena amanu. For anybody who has imam. Rabbana innaka raufur rahim. That indeed Allah ta'ala, you are rauf, you are rahim, you are the most softly, kindly, compassionate. And you are rahim, you are the most tremendously merciful. Right? So again, I would say to you, that any reformist and modernist, what do they try to do? They make you question your past. Right? These are old people, ancient people, centuries ago. Why? So say, no, in Quran, haven't you read Surah Al-Hashr verse 10? This is my attitude. I'm begging Allah not to put any ghil in my heart for anybody who has iman. Do you think I'm going to follow your ideology which is only hey ghiliya? All of it is about trying to make me think negatively about fuqaha, negatively about muhaddithin, negatively about ulama, negatively about awliya. That's your entire angle is that. And Allah is telling me in Quran to make dua to him that don't put any ghil in my heart, don't put any ill feeling in my heart towards the people who preceded me in iman. So I'm sorry, me and your ideology, we have to part ways. Because your way is a different way and the Quranic way is a different way. That's what you should tell them. Right? And we don't want to have ghil against any of the people. And especially those categories of people that are mentioned in the Quran. Siddiqeen, Salihin, Ulama, Awliya, Zakirin. These are words in Quran. How can I have any ghil against such categories of Alladina Amana? Right? So negativity, whenever you see negativity, you say it's going against my dua. <laughs> it's going against the way I'm supposed to be. Alright? And this is also a sign, I will tell you. And some of our own rightly guided ulama sometimes fail on this. Whenever, yes, sometimes, every now and then, even one of the rightly guided ulama made a mistake, right? So you have to point that mistake out or critique them, right? But you should always critique them in such a way that after you critique the mistake, you still praise them so that the listener still has love for them in their heart. So for example, if somebody thinks that Imam Ibn Taymiyyah made a mistake, you cannot point that mistake out in such a way that the listener has loses all love and respect for him. You should point that mistake out and say that any ulama can make any mistake and we will still follow the majority. But Imam Ibn Taymiyyah was an imam of taqwa, imam of dhikr. He was a wali of Allah Ta'ala. He is our beloved. Then the person will not get the ghil, right? But if somebody tries to tell to you that, oh, these fuqaha, they don't know anything and kiko is root nahi hai, Yes? <laughs> they were a product of their times. And if you walk away from that without the love, then that shows you that the path is against the path of Quran. Alright? If somebody says, Imam Munifan Amtai, made a mistake, right? 
But if they say he made a mistake, and that shows you he didn't know anything, and he's not a real scholar, and he didn't know hadith, then obviously you will have negative feelings for suhus. How can you have think positively about an alim who doesn't know hadith and gives legal rulings? But if you know he made a mistake, and his own two students actually corrected him on that, right? And he was a great imam, and a great scholar of hadith, and a great scholar of fiqh, and a wali of Allah Ta'ala, then you walk away with your love for him, right? So this ayah is the master ayah about how we should feel about our past predecessors and this is a dua we have to start making this dua and these duas you know this this is one of those duas we should try to say every single day surah 60 surah al-hashr no sorry but on surah 61 now right surah 59 surah 59 surah al-hashr verse number 10 all right okay and another thing i will mention to you earlier Right, uh, that therefore it's clear that a person cannot even have any will for any of the predecessors. So any sectarian ideology that they say, no, 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 we don't believe the Sahaba to be disbelievers, but we kind of dislike them. But we don't say they're disbelievers. See, that's also against Quran. <laughs> that's also against Quran. This verse establishes you cannot have any will against any one of them. You can't even have any of that. But again, I read to you what is the door we make. How could you pray to Allah Ta'ala, don't put a ghil in my heart, but attend a majlis where that person is putting ghil in your heart? <laughs> right? If nothing else, ghil to dalrai, right? Nafrat to balakarai, right? How could you attend a gathering like that and say, I'm still a Muslim? No, it's not possible. We cannot go to such a gathering. We don't want to hear such a thing. Alright? And last thing I will mention over here about this. I have explained that to you many times before. But just understand that when we make dua, Rabbana Firlana Wali Ikhwan Ladina Sabakuna bil Iman, Allah Ta'ala forgive us and forgive those who have passed us. It means those who have already died. So it means after a person has died, you can make dua to Allah Ta'ala to forgive his sins. And clearly, if Allah Ta'ala is that will have an effect. So it means after somebody dies, your du'as for them can lower their sins. Just like that, after somebody dies, your amal for them can increase their good deeds. If your du'as for them can lower their sins, because some people have this question about Isa al-Thawab, that no, they've died and their deeds are sealed, and how can I do some amal and give niyat that they get the thawab? Well, how can you make du'a? They've died, and however much istighfar they made, they made. How can you make istighfar for them? Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, you should make a stick far from them. So if your du'as for them can lower their sins, then your amal for them can increase their deeds. You can do that. And we are encouraged to do that for our fellow mu'mineen. Now a few things on ghil, some hadith on ghil. Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi in few hadith in Tirmidhi, Sayyidina Rasulullah said, avoid ghil between yourselves, he said, because this shaves off good deeds just as a razor shaves off hair. And then Nabi made another hadith to make it even clear. He said that, Oh my people, the diseases of previous ummahs will creep up on you. He's not talking to Sahaba, he's talking about the ummah, right? And their diseases were hasad and ghil, jealousy and ghil, enmity, hostility. And then the Prophet explained his earlier words, these negative attributes actually shave. I do not say that they shave hair, they will shave off your deen. Third hadith, also in Tirmidhi. That Sayyidina Rasulullah said that the doors of Jannah are opened every Monday, the gates of Jannah are opened every Monday and Thursday. 
And Allah Ta'ala's mercy comes down on everyone when those gates are open, except for those two people who have a ghil for one another. And Allah Ta'ala issues a decree about them that defer the mercy from them until they reconcile their enmity from one another. Allah Akbar. So it means if we have ill will and ill sentiment for a fellow mu'min, we are mahroom of getting the mercy that Allah Ta'ala descends on this earth. Several other hadith like this on ghil. Alright? So the easy way is just to make this dua that Allah Ta'ala remove the ghil in my heart. Okay? Verse 11. Now, uh, this is about the false promises. This I already covered for you. That the munafiqeen made false promises to the Jews that they would come to their aid to the Banu Nazira. So we can go over this very quickly. nafaku That do you not see those people who had hypocrisy? They say to their brethren and allies and their fellows from the disbelievers from the people of the book, yani the Jews of the Banu Nazir, That if you are exiled... That we will also leave with you. And they didn't do that either, by the way. It's not the Munafiqin didn't go with them to Khaibar. They stayed in Medina Manawra. So they said that we will do that with you. Uh, and we will never ever obey anyone. Ahadan, we will never, let me never obey anyone ever concerning you. It means if the Paltzim tells us to do something, we won't do it. We will always be on your side. And if they fight you, right? I mean, if you are fighted, then we will certainly then we will certainly assist you. And now this never happened. There was no fighting that took place. But obviously, if that happened, they would not have shown up on the battlefield. Wallahu yashhadu innahum lakadibun. Indeed, Allah Taala bears witness and testifies that they are indeed liars. Layin ukhruju la yakhruju ma'ahum. That indeed, if they are exiled, the hypocrites will not leave with them. And if they are engaged in battle, la yansurunahum, the hypocrites will not help them. And even were they to show up on the battlefield, outwardly appearing to help them, what would they do? They would turn their backs and run away from the battlefield. And therefore they will not have, and they themselves will also not have any assistance. لا أنتم أشد رحمة في صدورهم من الله. And then they said, "Ajib, that without doubt these munafiks, that what do they do? That the fear they have in their hearts for you is more than the fear that they have for Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. ذلك بأنهم قوم لا يفكهون. And that is because they're a nation which doesn't have any understanding. All right. Okay." One more verse, first number forty that you should their combined forces uh, will not be they will not fight you in a combined force except in fortified cities and behind fortresses, behind walls. And then Allah Ta'ala says another thing about them that the infighting that the infighting between them is intense. You think that they are all united, but in reality their hearts are shatta are scattered and divided. And that is because they are a community which lacks sense, which does not have akal. So two things that were mentioned about them, right? The first thing that is very interesting is that they have fear. Uh, 
Now, but they don't fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we are the opposite. We are Muslims. We fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more than anything else. The Munafikin had more fear of makhluk. They fear makhluk more than they fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the Muslim is the one who fears Allah ta'ala more than they fear makhluk. What does it mean? Let me explain this verse. It means that what the only thing the Munafik feared is their treachery. That their nifaq would be discovered. So they were always plotting how to conceal themselves, conceive themselves, how to be double agents, how to wrap themselves in camouflage type, right? This was their greatest fear, that mukhluk would discover them. They weren't at all afraid that Allah Ta'ala the Khalik absolutely knows their nifaq. So we should look at our own hearts, are we the same way? That when we sin, how much fear do we have that Allah Ta'ala knows our sin? And how fearful are we that if mukhluk discovers our sin? If people knew about our sin, we would be terrified. It would be more terrifying to us that somebody gets to know about our sin and if it's less terrifying to us that Allah Ta'ala already knows about our sin that means we have the sifat of the munafiq that is mentioned in this ayah. So mu'min isn't like that. We should fear Allah Ta'ala more and fear creation less. Second thing I wanted to show you very important about this ayah. What did Allah Ta'ala say in the end of verse 13? ذَلَكَ بِأَنَّهُمْ قَوْمٌ لَا يَفْقَهُونَ this is because they're, they're not a community of tafakkur. What? They don't fear Allah because they don't have tafakkur. So this is another eye, and I'm going to show you, it's going to come to you, another eye, I'm going to come to you again about tafakkur. Tafakkur and tafakkur means tafakkur understanding. People, modernists will explain to you that understanding is so you need to understand. No, understanding is to fear Allah. That's what they're saying in this Quran. If you can quote this, Surah 59, verse 13, the whole purpose of tafakkur is to fear Allah Ta'ala. So don't come with me your fancy, rationally argued, modernist ideology. Come to me with the fear of Allah because the Quran says, fiqh and tafakkur is to fear Allah. Do you understand what I'm saying? People say, no, you should think, rationally understand, deliberate over Quran. I say, yes, Allah Ta'ala says that. He talks about akul and fiqh and ulul adbar and basirat and fikr and all of that. But all of that is to fear Allah. And if you're not fearing Allah Ta'ala, means you're not a person of fiqh. No matter how brilliant your language may be or how rational you may seem. So this ayah establishes the whole purpose of being a qawm that is yafqahoon, being people who are of deliberative understanding and contemplation and deep understanding of deen, is so that we fear Allah Ta'ala. So the master attribute is fear. Right? Okay. Let's move on to verse number 15. Okay, so fiqh leads to fear. Just put it that way. Fiqh and tafakkur leads to fear. <laughs> so their example is like those who were shortly before them. This is referring to the Banu Ainuka. That they also were exiled. That's a whole other story. But the example of the Banu Nazir is like the Banu Qainuka. That they were also exiled. They tasted the consequence of their deed. That they had to be exiled in this world. But the real punishment. Will be that they will have a painful punishment. In the fire of Jahannam. Okay. So another story of Banu Qainuka. I think I did that for you at some time. But it's the first of the three tribes. That was expelled from Madinah Manawara. Alright. And this was after the battle of Badr. It means that for these people who are disbelievers, they cannot escape the punishment of the Akhirah. The only Tawbah that is accepted from them is the Tawbah of Iman. And other than bringing Iman, there is nothing that will exempt them from that punishment. 
كمثل الشيطان second example that Allah gives that they are like shaitan إذ قال للإنسان that when shaitan tells to human being that he tells them adopt disbelief it means the one thing this is clear that shaitan says this in so many ways it doesn't mean just the words but he does so many things in this world to try to get a person to adopt disbelief so these munafiks are the same way kafara, and then when that person adopts disbelief قال shaitan says them inni bari'um minka that I am absolved from you I have nothing to do with you إِنِّي أَخَافُ اللَّهَ And then Shaitan says, Indeed, I fear Allah Ta'ala Rabb Al-Alameen who is the Rabb of the Alameen. I mean, he's traitor, treacherous. He abandons that person who he links up. He disavows himself from that person. فَكَانَ عَاقِبَتُهُمَا The plight of the, the end and anjam and outcome of both of them أَنَّهُمَا فِي النَّارِ That they will both be in Jahannam. Both Shaitan and the person he made Disbelief. Both the hypocrite and the one the hypocrite deceived. Khalidina fiha, and they will dwell therein. And thus does Allah Ta'ala recompense, and thus is the punishment meted out to the dhalameen, to the wrongdoers, to the oppressors, to the criminals. Then from 18 to 21, famous ayat of Quran Ya ayyuhalladina amunatakullaha. Well tandru nafsumma kandamat lighad wattakullah inna Allah khabirun bima ta'malun that you believe you should have taqwa fear Allah Ta'ala and well tandur so nadr nadr means literally to see but also reflect let your nafs let yourself this is not nafs now let yourself reflect on what it has sent ahead for the morrow means what a'mal you have done that have gone forth for the akhirah وَاتَّقُوا Then again fear, indeed Allah Ta'ala is all aware of every single thing that you do. So this is, there are a few ayat like this in Quran where Allah Ta'ala has mentioned the command to have taqwa twice. Well, Fasrini have taken many different takes on this. Two takes is the first time Allah Ta'ala says is taqwa, fear Allah Ta'ala, repent for your past sins. Reflect on what you've sent ahead and then again وَاتَّقُوا And then second is taqwa, be conscientious and conscious and aware of Allah Ta'ala always in the future such that you never do sin again. So first taqwa, fear Allah, repent of past sins, reflect on what you sent ahead and in the future have taqwa, always remain on obedience. Others have said that taqwa means fear Allah Ta'ala by being steadfast on the faraid, wajibat, necessary aspects of deen. Then reflect on what you have sent ahead and then again fear Allah Ta'ala and don't ever engage in sin. Right? Here interesting thing that some of the Mufasrin have pointed out is that fikr leads to taqwa. Nadr leads to more taqwa. So have taqwa, then do nadr. Reflect. Do your muhasaba. Scrutinize yourself. Then that will lead to even more taqwa. So that's why the ulama and mashayikh always teach us to do fikr, to do nadr, to do muhasaba, to reflect on ourselves. Muraqaba is also a type of reflection, right? So that that will increase us in our taqwa. The incident in which this verse was revealed is a hadith in Sahih Muslim. And uh, when this verse, Surah uh, verse 18, not revealed, but an incident in which Nabi Akhtar recited this verse, 
uh, not when it was revealed, but the way that the Prophet used this verse to do tarbiyah of Sahaba. Slightly long hadith, I'll just very, I'll abbreviate it. Once there were a bunch of Sahaba sitting with the victim in the early part of the morning, and some people came to visit. They were from the Bani Mothar tribe, extremely poor. And they had one shawl, that's it. They had no other clothing. They just had a shawl. And they were wearing their swords around their necks. What does this mean? Because they traveled, they had to carry weapons to make sure they had a safe journey to Medina unless the Kufar attacked them. But they had no place. They had no belt or scabbard, no place because they don't have any clothing to attach their sword to. So they would walk that the sword was on their neck and they had one chadar around them. That's it. So when Sayyidina Rasulullah saw them, Allahu Akbar, Ajeeb Hadith, Sayyidina Bilal, this is uh, in the morning time they came. And so Sayyidina Rasulullah, when he saw their poverty, his heart was so compassionate for them, Sahabanari, that his face became pale in color. He was so saddened when he saw their poverty. And he remained in the state of sadness. Then he called Sayyidina Bilal, it became time for Zuhr. So he told Sayyidina Bilal to call the Adhan for Zuhr. So Sayyidina Bilal then called the Adhan for Zuhr because the wall had passed. And then after Zuhr Salah, Sayyidina Rasulullah got up on the mimbar, mimbar to Rasul Sassam, yani the pulpit of the Prophet and he recited two verses from Quran. First he recited, uh, a verse from Surah An-Nisa Ya ayuhal nasi attaku rabbakum alladhi khalakakum min nafsin wahida Right? This, this standard verse is also recited in Qutbah that Oh you who believe Oh, at, oh humanity sorry Ya ayuhal nasi Oh people fear Have taqwa that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created you from a single soul uh, and he created from it its spouse and then he propagated and spread multitudes of men and women from the two Fear Allah subhanahu from whom you will be asked concerning one another and of the family ties. Indeed, Allah is vigilant over you. He recited that ayah and then recited, Nabi Sallam recited this ayah, Surah Hashr, verse number 18. And after reciting these two ayat, then the Prophet asked the Sahaba to give sadaqah. And some Sahaba started donating, donating, donating. It's long ago somebody gave dinar, dirham, dates. One Ansar came up with a bag full of coins that is, was so heavy that they weren't able to carry it away. Allah Akbar, he donated so much, he donated a bag of coins that was so heavy that the Sahaba weren't able to carry it away. And they kept donating, then they started bringing food, they started bringing clothing, and then at the end it says that Nabi Akrim Sassam's face changed then after this and became so, so resplendent and shining as if his face was covered with liquid gold. That's what the Sahaba said. Allah Akbar. So this is the love Sayyidina Sassam had for the poor. Hmm? That when he saw their halat of poverty, his face became pale, yellow, sadness. And then after he saw the sadaqah come and he got so happy thinking that now their poverty is removed. This is our Nabi. This is Nabi Rahmat. This is the Nabi of poverty alleviation. Hmm? That his face became shining like liquid gold. He was so happy when he saw the poverty of these people was removed. And then he said, and this is a long hadith. Read a lot. I can't, I can't comment on that. I just tell you that he said this very important thing though. Whoever sets a good example in Islam will have the reward of his deed and the reward of all the deeds of all of those who follow in his example without reducing their rewards in the least. And whoever sets a bad example in Islam shall be burdened with his sin and the sins of all of those who follow his bad example without reducing their sins in the least. This is also right uh, used for... Uh, coming up with good things and setting good examples, whether that's a good example in method of tajweed or method of hadith or method of zikr. Next ayah, verse 19, very important also. وَلَا تَكُونُوا Don't become like those who forgot Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
He did this earlier, lack of zikr. Don't become like those who forget or forgot Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Fa, and then after that, فَأَنْسَهُمْ أَنْفُسُهُمْ Allah Ta'ala made them forget themselves. What does it mean that they forgot themselves? They forgot Allah Ta'ala. What does that mean? They got 100% engaged in the dunya. When they got 100% engaged in the dunya, they forgot their ukhravi self. They forgot their akhra self. They forgot they have a hereafter to work for. So they stopped doing their amal. They stopped reflecting on what they sent ahead for themselves on the morrow. Because they forgot Allah Ta'ala. So they forgot Akhirah. So that means they forgot their own selves. الفاسقون, that indeed these are the people who do open disobedience. This I explained to you last year as well. That fisk means those who do open, unabashed sin. Indeed never can the companions of the hellfire and companions of Jannah be equal. But indeed the companions of Jannah, they are fa'izun. They are the joyfully, triumphantly successful ones. That Allah Ta'ala says, Indeed if we had revealed this Qur'an on the mountains, that you would have seen that it would have been you would have seen it yield out of fear. And it would have literally trembled and shattered out of the fear of Allah. And such are parables and comparisons that Allah Ta'ala draws. Allah Ta'ala draws these comparisons, mentions such similes and parables for humanity. So that they could become people of fikr. So what is it again? Fikr. What's the purpose of fikr? Modernism? No. Yet the fucking was for what? Khashya. Khashya. What's the whole ayah talking about? That if the Quran was revealed on mountains, they would have felt fear. You would have seen them khashyan. Mutasaddiyam min khashya. You would have seen them felt fear. So therefore humanity should reflect. What does the ayah mean? Reflect doesn't mean some fancy intellectual explanation. It means fear. So tafakku fikr is for fear. Fikr is also for fear. The purpose of all of fikr and akul and tafakkur is to fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is also very often recited uh, and uh, much commented, often recited very actually self-explanatory ayah. This is the might and the azamat of Quran. What does it mean? That as hard, that, i just give you one example of it. The metaphor here is that the hardness of the mountain, that the mountain rock is so hard, Right? But no matter how hard the mountain is, even that mountain would be crushed to smithereens out of the fear if the Qur'an was revealed on it. So, insan, how hard has your heart become that Qur'an al-Kareem is addressed to you and your heart cannot get melted? What does it mean that you cannot feel the fear of Allah SWT? So purpose of fikr is to feel fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then these concluding ayat of Surah Al-Hashr also very often recited in Salah um, because it has this, many of the small husna of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hu Allahu alladhi la ilaha illa hu alimun ghaybi wa shahadati hu al-Rahman al-Rahim. Hu Allahu alladhi la ilaha illa hu al-Malik al-Kundus al-Salam al-Mu'min al-Muhaymin al-Aziz al-Jabbar al-Mutakabbir. Subhanallahi amma yushrikun. Hu Allahu al-Khaliq al-Bari al-Musawwir luhu al-Asma al-Husna. يسبح له ما في السماوات والأرض وهو العزيز الحكيم. Allah Taala is that being that there is no other being worthy of worship, no deity except for Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. So first sifat Allah Taala mentions here is His Tawheed, Wahdaniya, La ilaha illa Hu. 
that there is no God except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala means here that you can only appreciate the sifat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when you attest to the tawheed of the zat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and any person who does not attest to the tawheed of the zat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is guilty of any type of shirk then they can never understand and appreciate the sifat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first and foremost is the unicity, uniqueness, oneness of his zat then first Sifat Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions as Alimul Ghaybi wa Shahada. Allah Ta'ala is the knower of what is unseen and what is seen. Shahada means what is seen, what is concealed and what is revealed. That means that everything now there's technically speaking, there's no ghayb, this is in our sense. Nothing is ghayb to Allah Ta'ala. What is unseen to us and seen to us, all of that is known by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is nothing that is ghayb for Allah ta'ala. Everything is in the realm of shahada. Everything is witnessed and seen for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You can take this spatially in terms of makan. You can take this temporally in terms of zaman. So our future is not known to us. It is ghayb for us, but it is known to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You can take it as outward, our inward, our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions and deeds are known are seen and our thoughts and feelings are unseen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows every single thing. And then Allah Ta'ala says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most merciful one. I've told you this before. Ar-Rahman means Allah Ta'ala possesses all mercy. Ar-Rahim means Allah Ta'ala sends all mercy. What's the rabt over here? Rabt is that even though Allah Ta'ala sees everything, and knows everything, He looks at all of that through the lens of His mercy. This ilm that he has, of ilm al-ghayb and shahada, that he knows everything, he knows it all, but he filters it through the lens of his mercy. And his knowledge penetrates every place, so to every place he sends his mercy. He is al-Rahman al-Rahim. Then, next verse, Same thing, mentioning first the tawheed and unicity and oneness of the zat. Al-Malik means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the sovereign the master, the owner of each and everything. So what does that mean? That Allah Ta'ala is the true king. No one else is a king. So not only does he have knowledge of everything, he sends his mercy on everything, he also has dominion and sovereignty over everything. Al-Kundus. Kundus you can translate as Allah Ta'ala is the most pure, most sanctified, uh, most holy, most sacred. It means that Allah Ta'ala's being has pure sanctity. Anything in this world will be sacred and sanctity due to nisbat with him. So Quran is Muqandas. Baytul Muqandas is Muqandas. Kaaba is Muqandas. Anything is Muqandas only from his, with his nisbat and is with his relation and with his connection. As-salamu. As-salam here means that Allah Ta'ala is the giver of peace, the provider of peace, the provider of uh, sanctity, uh, and here means uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala establishes peace and sanctity and all peace can come from him. As we say, Allah ma'anta salam wa minka salam. Right? Second meaning of salam also means that Allah salam is a salam. means he is pure and free. Sahih salam. He is pure and free from all flaws and defects. But that's the second meaning of a salam. Al-mu'min. Now, al-mu'min doesn't mean that Allah ta'ala is a believer. Right? Many people think that Allah Ta'ala is a believer. Al-Mu'min means, if you did your surf properly, Babi Ifal Muf'ilun means the creator of Aman. Like a Muslim is the one who adopts Islam. Mu'min here refers to that being who creates Aman. 
So Allah Ta'ala being Al-Mu'min means Allah Ta'ala is the provider of aman, the giver and provider of security and stability in this world and creator of aman and itbanan in the hearts of his mu'minin. Right? Then Al-Muhaymin. Al-Muhaymin as our beloved Ustaz Sayyidina Mansa loves to point out. Uh, Al-Muhaymin is not ism tasghir for those of you who study Arabic. It's mulhaq barubai, what we skipped with you in sarf. That's why you can't understand what this is. This is mulhaq barubai. It's against the shan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that any one of his names, a small husna, could ever be from ism tasghir, ever be musagar. This is mulhaq barubai. Anyway, words that you don't understand, but enough for you to know. right? Al-Muhaymin. I could maybe try to explain it to you in a way that you could understand. There are four harufi asli here. Ha, ya, mim, and noon. Right? Actually, that's not even true. Because it's not rubai, it's mulhak ma rubai. It's a sulati patterned on the same wasn't as a rubai. We won't go beyond that. Al-Muhaymin. Alright? Okay. So Allah said, Al-Muhaymin. Muhaymin means that Allah Ta'ala is the ever-vigilant, ever-aware, ever-watchful. Right? I don't know how others would have translated Al-Muhaymin. Mm. Yeah. Okay, protector. That's also a good way. So, vigilant, aware, and watchful in the sense that he is protectively watchful over all his creation. He is a guardian over all of his creation. Al-Aziz. Al-Aziz means Allah Ta'ala is almighty. And Almighty means that nothing has Allah can do whatever He wants, and nothing has the power to stop Allah Taala to do whatever He wants. Al Jabbar, He is the omnipotent, the overpowering, the overwhelming. Which means that not only does He have all might and power to do what He wants, whenever He exerts that might and power, that might and power overwhelm and overpower every single other force that can be brought to bear. So Allah Taala Al Jabbar. And then Allah Ta'ala Al-Mutakabbir. Now here Al-Mutakabbir, you would translate it better maybe as Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is the glorious, right? Is the one to whom all exaltation and glory belongs. The only being who is worthy of exaltation and glorious to so the all exalted and all glorious one. Why? Because Allah Ta'ala is His majesty and the perfection of His majesty and the perfection of the attributes of His Majesty and Might is why Allah Ta'ala and Allah alone possesses all good and all virtue, and therefore Allah Ta'ala alone is to be all exalted and all glorified. Right? And uh, eleventh is, the uh, next ayah is that this is Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, who Allah, Al-Khaliq, the Creator, Al-Bari, the Perfect Maker, right? And once I told you before also that Al-Khaliq and Bari, Bari can be the originator so the creator and the original creator, you can also say the creator al-bari can also be the perfect maker. And al-musawwir means the fashioner or the shaper, the fashioner and safer. So he creates creation. He originally created and perfectly made creation. He fashions and shapes creation. So that means all of the bodies and phenomena in this world, even their shape has been made by al The shape and structure of the universe, the shape and structure of human physiology, the shape and structure of atoms and molecules, all of that is a manifestation of Allah Ta'ala's attribute as Al-Musawwir. And then Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is that being that He has Lahul Asma Al-Husna, to Him belong all the infinitely beautiful names, Yusabbihu Luhuma Fisamawat Wal-Ard, and every single thing that is in the heavens and earth, that this be and praises, glorifies Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala Aziz Al-Hakim. These are repeated at the end, that Allah Ta'ala is almighty and 
all wise, that Allah Ta'ala's might and wisdom reign supreme over each and every single thing. A couple of things to mention here, that there is hadith in Bukhari and had, that mentions that Allah Subhanahu has 99 names and whoever learns them, the word is hips, is some people say learn, some people say memorize, some people say act according to, whoever will learn them will enter into Jannah. And then 99 names are listed in a hadith of Tirmidhi and basically all of the collections that you see of 99 names are taken from that hadith in Tirmidhi. But there are some other names in hadith that are not mentioned in hadith in Tirmidhi. So it means Allah Ta'ala has more than 99 names. He has infinite names and infinite beautiful names. Then another hadith in Tirmidhi has there's a Masnoon Amal that is mentioned here. Sayyidina Rasulullah said that whoever recites Billahi three times in the morning and then recites the last three verses of Surah Hashr, Allah Ta'ala will appoint 70,000 angels to send the mercy of Allah Ta'ala until evening on that day. And then if he dies during that day, he will be raised as a shaheed. And then if in the evening, so this means after Fajr, then if after Maghrib, any time in the evening, a person says this, thrice, and then recites the last three verses of Surah Hashr, these three that we just did with the small husna, once, then same thing that all night, 70,000 angels will pray for Allah's mercy on that person, and if he dies during the night, he will die as a martyr. So this is from those things that the Muhaddithin have gathered in books, that Amal al yawm al that things to be recited in morning and evening. So this is one Sunnah Amal that everybody should recite. Next Surah Surah Al-Mumtahina. Surah Al-Mumtahina, also a Madani Surah. And this has a uh, short Surah. So inshallah we can try to finish the Surah before, by the time we hit uh, 5.15. Inshallah. Well, there is some... Inshallah we'll finish the Surah and then we'll call it a day. And almost, almost on track. I have no other choice. <laughs> We're not going to come back and finish in December. One way or the other, inshallah ta'ala, we're going to finish with you uh, in this month of Shawwal, in September, inshallah. In September, may not be Shawwal, actually. Bismillah amanu. That, O you who have Imam, la aduwi. That do not take my enemy, Allah ta'ala saying, wa aduwukum and your enemy, O do not take my enemy and your enemy as your beloved, intimate friend, companion, protector. <coughs> Such that you offer yourself to them. Bil mawadda, that you offer yourself your mawadda, I told you, your love and your affection for them. Why? Such that wakad kafaru, such that they are people who have denied and rejected and reputed bima ja'akum min al haq to that which has come to you with truth. Right? So, this is another very important thing. And uh, Imam Bukhari has mentioned in a, in a hadith about the specific incident of the revelation of this. Uh, but this is general. So, what happened is one Sahaba, Sayyidina Hatib, he wrote a secret letter to the mushrikeen of Makkah Mukarramah. Right? Uh, and here, this is mentioned in the Kitab al-Tafsir and also the Kitab al-Jihad, Kitab al-Maghazi of Imam Bukhari Nam Ta'alai. Allah SWT revealed this to Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. 
that this Sahaba Hatib had written a letter secretly from Madina Manawra to the Mashrikin of Makkah So Sayyidina Rasulullah dispatched three Sahaba, Sayyidina Zubair, Sayyidina Migdad, and Sayyidina Abu Martad, and he told them where you will find. He said, Ride until you reach Rodai Khaq, which is a particular garden on the way from Madina Manawra to Makkah and the person there you will find a Mushrik woman who has a note from Hatib who is addressed to the Mushrikeen. So the Sahaba, these three Sahaba went and on the command of the Prophet, they took their horses and they raced in that direction and they caught up with the Mushrik woman. She was on the camel. The camel goes much slower than the horse so that's why they were able to catch up with her. So they told her that stop your camel, make your camel sit down and then they asked her for the note and then they searched for it and they couldn't find it. So then uh, they knew that the Prophet told them she has a note so they can't be wrong. So but she was denying having it in their possession. So then they threatened her, right? And then when she saw the determination, obviously she had hidden the note like any messenger would somewhere inside some folder of her clothing. So she took the note out. And inside that note, when they took it out and they read it, Sayyidina Hatib had mentioned a letter to the Mushrikeen of Makkah Makkah a little bit before Fatih Makkah, informing them that Sayyidina Sussam intended to ride into Makkah Makkah means attack Makkah Makkah So they returned with that note to the Prophet so when he when the Sahaba gave that note to Sayyidina Rasulullah, so he called Sayyidina Hatib Law it's a very long hadith So he called him and said, What's the matter with you? <laughs> right? He called Sayyidina Hatib and said, What is the matter with you? Sayyidina Hatib said, Ya Rasulullah, don't be hasty in judging me. I didn't write this note because I'm a disbeliever or I've apostated, I've become murtad, or I have any mm, affection for the disbelievers in that sense, you know. I'm not one. I'm not even a member of the Quraysh. I was just living amongst them in Makkah Mukarramah before I took Iman and you migrated to me in the Menorah. And the others who, however, the others who migrated with you, they have relatives in Makkah Mukarramah, and because of that, their family and property remains protected because when they left their home, but their family clan has preserved their property and home. But I have no relatives, so I thought that I should do a favor to the Quraysh and let them know that we are coming. Because it's inevitable, nothing can stop the victory coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But then I also, my family will also get some protection from the grace because of this favor. So now, it's, this is the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is why I try to explain to you sometimes that ikhlas. Sometimes a person has so much ikhlas. For us, this seems to be a crazy, this is not a justification, right? For us, this seems that that sahaba committed a Terrible act by sending that letter, right? Sayyidina Rasulullah after he heard the story, he said he's spoken the truth. Let him be. Allah Akbar, right? So somehow, my own feeling when we read this hadith is that although we have the words of the Sahaba, what he said, but I don't think mean you can grasp the reality. There must have been some emotion in his mind which he was so genuinely sincere about that Nabi Yaqim, when he heard it, he said, okay, it's fine, you've spoken the truth. Because outwardly it seems that this is a very, you know, you don't do this, right? You don't send a letter to the Mushrikeen of Makkah Makkah informing them of the plans of the Mu'mineen. So here, so Sayyidina Rasulullah so some said he has spoken the truth. But Sayyidina Umar, nature say, right? So Sayyidina Umar had heard this, he's witnessing all this, and he didn't, he wasn't happy. So he said, Ya Rasulullah, literally said, this is the words of Ya Rasulullah sallam permit me to behead this hypocrite. Right? Of now, it shows you also the emotions of Sayyidina Umar. 
Because that person who the Prophet said the words, he has spoken the truth. Once the Prophet says that about somebody, nobody can say it's a hypocrite, right? But Sayyidina Umar was so upset at this betrayal, that was his own Imani Gherat. So Sayyidina Rasulullah addressed to him. Sayyidina Umar said that Sayyidina Hatib, brethren who participated in the battle of Badr. And Allah Ta'ala has said that the Ashabi Badr are forgiven irrespective of what they do. Allahu Akbar Kabira. Ajeeb, right? Ajeeb. Means this is the large that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala and Nabiya Kareem Sassam did of the Badri Sahaba. So even when we know, even when our own, not history, even when our own books of Adif tell us something about a Sahaba, still we cannot raise a finger. Right? So you should never be fooled. Sometimes some of these websites will quote a hadith and look, your ulama tell you that you should respect all Sahaba. Look in your own hadith it says Sahaba did ABC. Yes, but you didn't read the whole hadith. <laughs> Continue with the hadith. They clip the hadith. It says no matter what happens, and especially if it's a Badri Sahaba, right? That we can never ever lift a finger against the Sahaba. So then when the Prophet said this, he became quiet, he became silent. Ibn Kathir in his book of history, he's actually published the whole letter. He published that letter. That's not mentioned in the Hadith of Bukhari. He published the letter that Sayyidina Hatim wrote to the Mushrikeen of Makkah Makarmah. Maybe if one reads that, you know, one could even understand it even a bit better. Right? So, the best way to understand this is Sayyidina Hatib made a khata, he made a mistake. He thought that, okay, that the Muslimin are going to conquer anyway, but the Quraysh will somehow be indebted to me. Right? Uh, just for giving them this information, but this was not something that he needed. So anyway, so this was the reason why this verse was revealed. So what was the verse again? Don't take Allah Taala says, don't take my enemy and your enemy as oliya, right? Especially when they have already rejected the truth that have come to you. Okay. So this means that uh, you know, even though Sayyidina Hatib was forgiven by Allah Taala and the Prophet and exonerated, but still the verse is revealed to give the general lesson. Right? That we shouldn't do that. Okay? And uh, this also, obviously, uh, one legal ruling that comes from this is that of, uh, not, not saying Sayyidina Hatib, but the ruling of a spy. Anybody who spies then, right, uh, for the non-believer would be addressed by this ayah that how can you take the enemy of Allah Ta'ala as your friend. Then Allah Ta'ala continues, وَقَدْ يُخْرِجُونَ الرَّسُولَ وَإِيَّاكُمْ And they have exiled and kicked out the Prophet of Makkah Makkah وَإِيَّاكُمْ And they kicked yourselves out also from Makkah Makkah only because أَن تُؤْمِنُوا بِاللَّهِ رَبَّكُمْ That you believe in Allah Ta'ala your Rabb Therefore إِن كُنْتُمْ خَرَجْتُمْ جِهَادًا فِي سَبِيلِ However, if you emerge from your homes جِهَادًا فِي سَبِيلِ To strive militarily in my path and to seek my pleasure, Allah Ta'ala saying, to seek the pleasure of Allah Subhanahu then to sidruna ilayhim bil mawadda. Right? That is what you should have done. But instead, what are you doing? To sidruna ilayhim bil mawadda, you are secretly showing them some display of affection. And I know best what it is that you conceal. And that which you reveal and proclaim. So whomsoever would do this from amongst you has certainly strayed from the path. Right? 
that if they find you, they will be enemies to you. If they were ever to catch up with you, and if they ever get little, they have access to you. If you ever become accessible to them, because you have now migrated to them, but if they ever up, that's what it means. They will extend towards you their hands and their tongues, besu'i with evil intent. And they wish for you is just that you would takfurun, that you would disbelieve. They have no other desire for you. So you're sending them the notice, I'm going to win them over. They want to see your kufr. That's what Allah said. And so this is the message to anyone. And this is a big problem today that the secular Muslims were always trying to appease non-Muslims, always trying to put ourselves in their good graces, always trying to win them over. Yes, if you do that with following the adab and akhlaq, Allah wants you to have, that's fine. But if you compromise in your deen, you try to conceal your deen, you try to amend your deen, reform your deen, well the answer is that they're never going to, in that sense, you can never please them until you leave your deen. They're not even, they're not going to be content with any type of modification or reform. They want outright that you should leave that and join them in their secular atheism. There's nothing else that will appease them. Right? So this one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that none of your relatives will be of any benefit to you. None of your children will be of benefit to you. When on the day of judgment, you will be separated from them. So here is another thing that Sayyidina Hatibana, he was worried for his family, actually. Right? And this is the worry for the family. Maybe that was the ikhlas of his sentiment. So here Allah Ta'ala is saying, look, your family and children are going to benefit you. On that day you will be separated from them. Wallahu bima ta'amaluna basir. And Allah Ta'ala is all aware and ever watchful and all informed. Ever watchful uh, basir, all watching over each and every single thing that you do. Alright? Alright. So, again, this is not talking about basic friendship which you would have as a colleague or a student or a teacher. This is talking about wilaya, right? Uh, and that level of why you confide everything to that other person. A person who is the enemy of Allah's sponsor, you cannot confide, uh, especially the plans of the moment to that person. Verse number 4, Allah Ta'ala gives the perfect example of to show how what should be the attitude of a believer towards people who deny the truth that has come to them. فَكَدْ كَانَتْ لَكُمْ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنًا فِي إِبْرَاهِيمٌ Now this is, look, this is the shan of Sayyidina Ibrahim Allah Ta'ala talks about the Prophet Usfatun Hasana. لَكَدْ كَانَتْ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولُ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنًا Here Allah Ta'ala is saying in the Quran that you have قَدْ كَانَتْ لَكُمْ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنًا فِي إِبْرَاهِيمٌ That you have a beautiful and noble example on how to deal once you're a believer, how to deal with people who deny and reject the truth and also profess their enmity to that truth and become the enemies of Allah Ta'ala and the Prophet and Deen. The example for that is Ibrahim Alayhi and those who were his true sahab and companions is Kalu when all of them said him to their community Inna bura'u minkum that we exonerate ourselves from you, we absolve ourselves from you, we disavow ourselves, we are buried from you. And we exonerate and disavow ourselves from you and from every single thing that you worship. We have nothing to do with you and nothing to do with what you worship other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Kafarna bikum, we reject you. This is what it means. That we reject you, we repudiate you. And now it has appeared and has surfaced and has manifested enmity between us and you, between you and us has begun. 
until you believe in Allah Ta'ala alone. Allah Akbar. And Allah Ta'ala is saying in Quran, this is not some old story, Allah Ta'ala is saying, this is an uswat and hasana for you. Right? What does this mean? This means that, look, we can again trade with you, we can treat with you, we can mutually coexist as citizens with you, but our wilaya, our love and affection, our muwadda, our love and affection, that can never be yours. Until and unless you believe in one Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? Because we've done this in several different ayat and several surahs today that the love and affection of the heart of a believer can only be for the sake of iman. Can never be for any other basis. Alright? Now what happened that what there was an exception illa kaula Ibrahim ali abihi except for there was one except for the statement the exception being the statement of Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam to his father la astaghfiranna laka that I will make istighfar, I will surely and surely ask forgiveness, pray for your forgiveness, pray to Allah Ta'ala to forgive you. And he said, <coughs> but I have no power from Allah Ta'ala to do anything for you. I can just pray to Allah Ta'ala to forgive you, I have no power to do anything. Rabbana alayka tawakkalna, and it's indeed, O oh, our Rabb, into you and you alone do we put our trust. وَإِلَيْكَ anabna, And we turn to you in inaba. وَإِلَيْكَ And turn to you in repentance and turn to you in yearning. وَإِلَيْكَ masir, And to you Allah Ta'ala alone is our ultimate return. رَبَّنَا لَا تَجْعَلْنَا فِتْنَةً لَذِينَ كَفَرُوا وَاكْفِرْ لَنَا رَبَّنَا إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ الْعَزِيزُ الْحَكِيمُ That O oh, our Rabb do not make us a test for the disbelievers. And forgive us Ya Allah for you are Al-Aziz, you are the Almighty and Al-Hakim All-Wise. And indeed in this, in the example of Ibrahim salam and his companions is a noble and beautiful and excellent example for who? For anyone who yearns and has hope for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the last day. And any person who turns away and spurns this. All uniquely independent and free from any need of us, and Al Hamid and Allah Taala is uniquely and alone worthy of praise. All right. So this statement that uh, Allah Sayyidina Ibrahim salam said to his father, we have talked about this before, right? And we did this for in Surah Tawbah, Surah Nine, Verse One Fourteen, that Sayyidina Ibrahim salam only sought forgiveness for his father because of the promise he made to him. But when it became clear that his father was Allah Taala's enemy and died in that state. Then Ibrahim Salam exonerated himself from his father as well. So this is the very important du'a, and here this du'a is that Allah Taala has quoted some du'as that Sayyidina Ibrahim Salam made, and his righteous companions, his ashab made, and these are du'as that are mentioned in Quran that we should make this du'a as well. Now the very interesting du'a here is that do not make us a fitna lilladina kafaru. So what does that mean? Don't make us a fitna for the disbelievers, right? This could mean many things, right? Number one, it means that looks, if we, first meaning, which is relevant to this, if you show your love and affection for them while they're on kufr, then there's no doubt you become a fitna for them because they think that, look, well, there's no need for us to become Muslim. These people are totally doing our bidding and aligning with us and allying with us the way we are. So actually your love and affection for them while they remain adamant on their disbelief in Allah is a fitna for them as opposed to being a dawah from them. Do you understand? Right? 
And second is also that when we betray our own iman, then we don't become a source of nur and hidayah and guidance for others. Then we have to become a source of fitna. So can you imagine a mu'min who has become a fitna for disbelievers the other way around, right? That in the Quran should be describing disbelievers as a fitna for us. But this is how strongly Allah Ta'ala describes it when we try to appease them and be loving and affectionate and be so nice and loving to them. You know like the Pakistani university girl who was so loving to the atheist visiting student and never showed any love like that to her masi or the woman who worked in her home who was a fellow believer. So loving to her just because of the color of her skin. Hmm? Law of Akmar. So And then that person will think oh, they're so loving to me they invited me to their home and the whole trip, you never made dawah to her. The whole, so when that girl goes back to California, she leaves the impression, I'm perfectly fine. And the Muslims can accept me and love me just the way I am, with my atheism and with my agnosticism and with my sin and with my boyfriends and with my drinking and everything. They made me feel so accepted. I'm not saying be mean, right? But then there was no that. That's a fitna for her. Because she didn't get the hidayah. That no, in the eyes of Allah, you could become better. You could become better than what you are. Iman and Haya, there's a better way. She didn't get that message. She got the message that they love me just the way I am. They made me feel that I couldn't be better. She'll go back to California thinking like that. They made me feel that I couldn't be better. So that's a fitna. You put her in a deception. You didn't do dawah. You didn't give her invitation. Now you understand. Alright? So it's very strong, very strong. So we would never want, now the Billah, that we would be a fitna for disbelievers. We'd never want any of them to be a fitna for us. We don't want ourselves to be a fitna for them. So with wisdom and kindness, compassion and mercy, but always to invite them, to show them that there's a better path. Show them there's a better way. That okay, we like you, we like you, but you could be even better. And we have something in our home that is our Quran al-Kareem, that is our deen, that is our Nabi al-Kareem, so that could make you better. And we want to show you that also. Alright? Asallahu an yaj'ala baynakum wa bayna alladhina aadaytum minhum mawadda wallahu kadeer wallahu ghafoorur rahim So here Allah Ta'ala says that Allah Ta'ala will soon very soon Allah Ta'ala may indeed establish love and affection between you and those who you regard as your enemies and Allah Ta'ala is kadeer what does it mean it means that uh, here the initial thing is still about the hijra. So the Sahaba who migrated to Medina Manawara, they still had many Kufar relatives living in Makkah Mukarramah, right? So here, uh, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is saying that you know maybe after Fatih Makkah, because this is as you know that after Fatih Makkah, so many of those Kufar relatives became Muslim. So Allah is foreshadowing that that very soon indeed Allah Taala may in fact create that love between you. But that love between you is going to happen not by sending notes. But that love is going to happen when you go back to Makkah Makarama and you show them the example of the mercy and compassion and forgiveness of Islam when the Biyakrim is going to announce amnesty and so many of them will accept Iman and then you will be back in that loving relationship again. So when you're true to your deen, right, that is the way that they will come back to you. And by abandoning your deen, you're not going to be able to get them back to you. It's simple, it's easy for Allah Ta'ala to guide people's hearts. So Allah Ta'ala can very soon do that because... Wallahu Qadir, because indeed Allah Ta'ala is all powerful, all capable. Wallahu Ghafurur Rahim, and Allah Ta'ala is all forgiving and all merciful. Then make this very clear, right, so that you see the other side. Otherwise, if a person just listens to the comments in the earlier verses, there's no suggestion of being harsh to disbelievers. Allah Ta'ala makes that clear in the next verse. La yanhaakum Allahu anil ladina lam yukatilukum fiddin. That as far as those who lam yukatilukum fiddin, they don't fight you, right? They don't fight you because of your deen. 
So for those who are not fighting you over deen, Allah Ta'ala is saying, Allah Ta'ala does not prohibit you in any way that you should behave cordially, charitably, justly with them. That you should do. So being cordial, charitable, just, fair, nice, we will be like that with all the disbelievers who don't fight us over our deen. وَلَمْ يُخْرِجُكُمْ مِنْ دِيَارِكُمْ And they've not fought you for your deen, nor have they driven you and exiled you from your homes. And in fact, if you are nice and kind and just to all of those disbelievers, right? Here's the antabarruhum batuksitu. So you should have bar with them and kissed with them. You should deal with them with bir, with nice virtue, kind, compassion, and with kiss justly. Allah does not prevent you from doing that with all disbelievers other than those who fight you over deen and make you leave your home, right? And in fact, if you treat them nicely, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ الْمُقْسِدِينَ Allah Ta'ala loves the people of justice. So you will become the beloved of Allah by treating unbelievers, except those who fight you over deen and kick you out of your homes, others, the ones you teach cordially and justly, you will become the beloved of Allah. So you see the beauty and the balance in deen, right? And that's more important than nukta here, rubbed between this and what came before is what the heart of a mu'min should want, should be the beloved of Allah, not the beloved of the kuffar. So don't give yourself up to them in love and affection, trying to become their beloved. Instead, treat them with justice and compassion and be cordial and civil to become the beloved of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. إِنَّمَا يَنْهَاكُمُ اللَّهُ أَنِ الَّذِينَ قَاتَلُكُمْ فِي الدِّينَ Indeed, Allah Ta'ala is only forbidding you from befriending those who fight you over your deen. وَأَخْرَجُوكُمْ مِنْ دِيَارِكُمْ And those who kick you out of your homes. وَذَاهُرُوا عَلَىٰ إِخْرَاجِكُمْ And they, ذَاهُرُوا uh, means pushpanai, they back and assist those who have exiled you. أَنْتَوَلَّوْهُمْ uh, they, they back and assist those who exile you. And those who still make them their wali after all of this, if you still are a wali with those who are oppressing you, then then you yourself will become amongst the wrongdoers and criminals. All right? So here Allah Ta'ala made it very clear here that you can just think that in this passage of Quran, Surah Al-Mumtahana, verses 7 to 9, their disbelievers are given into Two categories, two categories, right? And for example, after Sulaw Hudaybiyah, in the initial period, initial period before the treaty was violated, the Muslimin and Mushrikeen were living in peace. There was a ceasefire, right? It was a peaceful arrangement. Uh, all right. Verse number 10. Ya ayyuhallina amanu idja'akum al-mu'minat muhajirat Okay, now, oh you believe, this is, just do this eye a little bit because this is the eye which is actually uh, about, which is uh, about over which the surah is named. So you believe, when the mu'minat come to you, which mu'minat muhajirat? So you can say the migrant women, the immigrant women, the refugee women, when they come to you, famtahinuhunna. So literally it would mean that you should examine them. You should examine them. But, Allahu a'lamu bi imanihinna. Allah Ta'ala knows best the condition of their iman. Fa'in alimtumu hunna mu'minat. And if after your examination you determine and recognize that they are believers, fala turji'u hunna ilal kufar. Don't return them back to the disbelievers and you don't send them back to Makkah Makarma. 
Lahunna hillullahum, and then you should know uh, that neither are these women lawful. Lahum for them, for the disbelieving men. Wallahum yahillunalahunna, and nor are the kufar men lawful for them. So this is the eye that made it clear that a mu'mina woman cannot remain in nikah with a non-mu'mina man. A believing Muslim woman cannot be in nikah with a non-Muslim man. So what happened was that there were some women who migrated away from their husbands and families, right? And maybe some of them, their iman, had, they kept it secret, they concealed it because their husband would have tortured them. But when they heard the hukam, that all believers have to migrate, so they had to migrate. So Allah Ta'ala is telling the Prophet some of the believers, or the believers, you know, the of the believers, that they should examine and test. And Allah knows best which ones are iman, but you will have to ascertain that through a process on this world as well, in order to determine uh, that you cannot send them back. Alright? So then when you find out that, that they are mu'mineen and you can't return them because they are not halal for them nor they are halal for them, وَآتُوهُمْ مَا anfaku. So you should return to those disbelieving male husbands of theirs whatever they have spent upon them. Right? And this can be first, uh, and first it means what has been spent on them in terms of meher because meher was also something that was there before Islam so you should return the meher to them. Because whenever you do fasq of nikah, of a mudkhul biha, you have to return the mahr. Mula junaha alaykum. And there is no harm uh, upon you. Antankihu hunna. That now any one of the sahaba in Medina can marry any one of them. Because their nikah is what we call fasq has been annulled and abrogated. So once you separate them from their husband, you return their mahr. Then they are now marriageable. And any one of you could marry them now if you want. But you have to give them their meher. Ida ate tumuhunna ujurahunna. When you must give to them their dowry. Walatum siku bi isamil kawafiri. Okay, and then uh, you should not stubborn now addressing the men that you should not, you can say stubbornly cling, you should not stubbornly cling to your own kafir wives. Kawafira. You remember this? Fawail. The warib. Yes? Hmm? The female disbelievers. So, so there were some mu'min sahaba men who their wives had not yet converted. Right? So here Allah is saying you should not stubbornly cling to them. Mas'alu ma anfaktum. Nor should you... Uh, I'm sorry. Wasalu ma anfaktum. You should ask for. You should separate yourself from them and ask them to return your mare. While yasalu ma anfaku, just like the disbelieving men can ask back what they have spent, ask their mare back. Dalakum hukmullah. This is the command of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Yakumu bainakum and Allah Taala settles and decides matters between you. Wallahu alim al fakim. And Allah Taala is all knowing and Allah Taala is all wise. So you can ask for your disbelieving wives what you spent on them and the disbelieving husbands can ask from their mu'mina wives back from what they spent on them this is referring to mehr right okay, I think we're going to have to stop over here because it's 5.20 right I'd wanted to finish this surah today but it will require some time to explain these last 3-4 verses so we'll stop over here and inshallah we'll continue tomorrow سبحان ربي لا نبهام الله وصلي على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم 
Ya Allah, you're in beginning, we ask that you grant us hearts that love for your sake alone, that dislike for your sake alone. Ya Allah, put love in our hearts for all of those who love you and who are beloved to you. And Ya Allah, take out love from our hearts for all of those who are disliked by you and who dislike you. Ya Allah, you're in beginning, we wish to be firm and steadfast on our deen, who is to be a source of dawah for others, not a source of fitna for others. Ya Allah, let us be people of hikmah and wisdom. Let us retain our kindness and compassion. Let us be respectful towards the disbelievers. Let us treat them as you wish us to treat them. Be with them as you wish us to be with them. Let us invite them as you wish us to invite them. Ya Allah, let us fix all of our adab and our akhlaq. Let us have deep love and respect for all of the Sahaba Ikram, all of the Muhajireen, all of the Ansar, all of the Siddiqeen and Salihin, all of the Zakirin, Ulama, Awliya. Ya Allah, all of the Ahl Iman. Ya Allah, take out the ghil from our heart. Take out any ill will negative feeling towards anyone past take out all the ghil from our heart take out all any ill will negative feeling towards anyone living you let us have love and mercy towards one another and you let take out the shuh from our nafs take out the miserless from our nafs let us be generous in our heart generous in our nafs generous in our life generous in the charity generous in our time with others let us do amal on each and every ayah of Quran let us do amal on each and every hadith from the sunnah let us pass away from this earth in a state that we have such amal and ikhlas on that amal and istiqamat on that amal and istiqama on ikhlas. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Rabbana takabal minna innaka anta samiul alim. Watubu alayna innaka anta tawabu rahim. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala habibihi Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Bi rahmatika ya arhamar rahimin.